Hey, back here with uh, former representative Lance Pruitt. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah. Well, you know, just... you've you've kept the beard a little bit. Not not as much as before, but yeah, yeah. I've I've kept it. It's kind of been I think you know a little over a year with it. It's kind of it's funny. I actually get out there and people they'll be like, I, I don't recognize you with the beard. So yeah, it's kind of fun. When you had the in Juno a couple of years ago, you you were full like beard. And... I I did. I went I went and. And I, I didn't shave it for a, a while, and it was kind of like I'm gonna I'm wait I'm gonna wait until we're through with the session type of a deal, but then the session kept going. <laughs> it's like hockey or baseball <laughs> yeah. when they won't shave or yeah, exactly. something. Because yeah. I remember I took a picture of you, yeah, and I put it on Twitter, and I and I, I you know I said Lance Pruitt's got a beard, and it, it got like a ton of. I mean, there was a lot of con- somebody else did. Like Sam Keto did that a couple of years ago. Remember? Yeah, yeah, he the, did the keto beard. Yep. He did so. Yeah, this uh, that was that was funny. Afterwards, when we were through, I, uh, I I shaved it, and I had actually someone that was, went up to my wife, and she was like, "I'm so glad he shaved it. He looked terrible with it." So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, well, this is this a, one's a little bit more. I'm you know, keeping it a little bit more. So, as a fellow beard person, you know, I, I approve. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. So you've <laughs> been um, out of the legislature for. About a year. Yeah, almost. It'll be a year here in a couple of weeks. What have you What have you been up to? I mean, you haven't really been too been kind of quiet, which is, yeah. I think, good. Some people get out, and then they keep very active and loud, and yeah. I think it's better when people kind of just... You know, I, I, I felt that it was probably appropriate to, you know, just stay, take a step back and not, you know, I'm, I, you, you can... You can get active in and and kind of scream and holler, but sometimes that just really doesn't help the dialogue. Um, right now, there's 60 people that have been elected to be down there, and and they're the ones making the decisions. Uh, I think me stepping away for a bit before I then decide at some point to you know engage again is is really helps it helps for it to for my voice to not be that well you're you're angry because you lost or something like that effect. Instead, it allows for mm. me to come back. And and bring come back from a place of experience. You see that from from leaders on the national side, et cetera. That that well, when Walker, you know, when he was done, I tried for a while to yeah. get him to. And he wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't talk to anybody. Yeah, he didn't talk to me until I think it was we did a podcast last. Maybe it was this session. It was a while. He just kept very quiet. Right, which I think is you know a good thing. Yeah, I call it the the George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, method. You know, he he specifically people wanted him to engage, and he said, "You know, I'm I'm gonna let my successor um, do his thing." And and I don't, he felt it was inappropriate to engage, and I just felt that at this point in time, it was appropriate for me to kind of step back and uh, not. I wasn't uh, monitoring it as much as I was, which also helped because it. I, I still have lawmakers call me and they'll ask for advice and, and I'll tell them, listen, now having been out for a year, I can give you a perspective from being outside, being politically active, but yet understanding that what you think the public understands or what the public is listening to it, it, that now I have a different perspective. They're not listening to your floor speech every single time you step up and you think that they are, you think you've won some argument mm-hmm. with the public and they're not listening because I would be one of those that's listening, and I'm going to tell you I have no idea what you just told me happened. So um, that's the bubble that I see when I'm down there. Yes, you know you're there every day, and you kind of assume or think that people know this shit, and no one watches. I mean, there's nope. probably at any given time 50 people on, on, and half of them are in the in the building. 
Right. You know, right. watching the floor session. Yes. Or they're, or maybe they're lobbyists or someone that are, you know, they have a, a, a truly vested interest in that, that conversation that may be taking place right then. Mm-hmm. You know, the public for the most part is going to find out through other means. They might find out from you or they might find out from, you know, ADN or, or different, different sources. And even then they're going to, those pieces are enough to help them shape their their where they're going with it what their thoughts are and so it was you know i i would try to try to help them understand listen you know you need to step away from your bubble and you need to get back out you need to understand that what you think you're doing what you think you're saying the the engagement you think you're getting it's it's not actually where the public sentiment Mm -hmm. is step out of the bubble and 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 so i think that this last year has kind of given me a, a a fresh opportunity to step out and and actually hopefully help people um, that are down there. What's it been like uh, when you were elected in 2008, right? 2010, 10. so I was sworn in 2011. Okay, so what's it been like this last year? You haven't been in Juneau, you've, have you been relaxing? What, <laughs> what have you been up so to? Actually, it's been, it's been great, you know, and, um, uh, I, I went ahead and, and joined my family and I, we all uh, went down back in, I think, January and, and February. My wife had some, some meetings, so we just tagged along. And there was actually a point there where we were trying to figure out, okay, do we have anything specific we need to be, be back for? And at the time, COVID was pretty active. The kids were, um, uh, kids were, were remote learning at the time. And there was one instance where we said, you know, let's just spend an extra week here. And I didn't have to think about whether or not I, Juno was going to, you know, bog us down with that. Yeah. And it was really good. I, what I've gotten the chance to do over the last year is where my kids who have on, had only known me down in Juno, uh, I've been able to spend time with them. I've seen, you know, all their, their game, their baseball games, ba- basketball games, things that bef- and they're what, middle school now, or they're one's high school, one's middle school. Wow. So, you know, those were things that I didn't get the chance to do because I always, well, I have to be in Juno or no, I've got to be on the phone while I'm at the game because someone's calling because something's going on. And I was able to really kind of give them you know, me, they had dad. And that was a really positive. Did they notice that or life. did they, you know, I think they have noticed that. I think they've noticed that, um, uh, that time that I've been able to be there, you know, they never, comp- it wasn't, it wasn't a thing they complained about. Well, you know, dad's got X going on because they knew I was always trying. And, and at times we would try to bring them down there and, and they got, you know, the unique experience of being kids with the father in the legislature. But, um, but, you know, they have noticed the extra time we've mm-hmm. been able to, I've been able to spend with them. And I think that's been a really good thing for us for this last year. Well, you know, and I'm, I'm single and, don't have kids, but I see what happens down there. And this concept of, you know, quote unquote citizen legislature, I think it's bullshit because if you have a job and a family, yeah. it is very, I mean, I think of kind of Sarah Rasmussen as yeah. an example, two young kids and husband who works and, right. you know, it's just really hard for people like that yep. to, do, to do it. Your case is, you know, the same where yep. other people that are you know, retired or their kids are uh, grown up or maybe, you know, they're single with no kids. It's yep. really not conducive to, and I think a lot of people tell me they used to, I did a podcast with John Binkley. They used to like move to Juno and their they kids did. would go to school in Juno. Yep. But now, you know, so many people just want to get out of there as quickly on Thursday night. They're on the plane or Friday morning. Right. And, and you, you know, throw into that the other piece of it, which is, um, you know, officially and the statute, we're supposed to be 90 days. So the uncertainty of which, are we which, actually 90 days? When was the last? I mean, they, well, COVID was 68 yep. because of a weird... Prior before, to, before that, it was always, you know, four months or in special sessions. Yeah. When I, in 13, we got out in 90 days and in 14, we got out like 94 days, you know, so 
you know, we can, we have done it, we can do it, but that's the, that's another uncertainty that's out there too. And so the ability to say, Hey, let's go down and let's make a, you know, four month lease and we're all going to go to school. You know, that's just not as strong. We, we had people that we were having to deal with, with COVID where they were like, Hey, I've got to break my lease cause I'm going to be gone. And it was a, uh, it was kind of a mess to, to help them. There were people that didn't want to help them out. And so I think that also is an uncertainty in addition to the legislature over the years has tried to make that effort to be back and engaging with people back home. And in doing so, uh, that's good for the people back home, but it also means that you really can't do that, move your family down there. Well, it's like the D.C. phenomenon where, you know, people talk about like Ted Stevens and Beck and yes. people used to live in D.C., their families would be, and they come home, but yep. now it's the same kind of deal. They want to get the hell out of there as soon as they can and yeah. spend as little time as possible yep. and you don't have as much engagement or FaceTime with, you know, your peers. So I've said for a long time, and this is something I've really observed being in Juno. but what do you think about, you know, a full-time legislature where you pay them like 150000 It's You can't have another job. There's no conflicts. And when you're done, you have to wait maybe like the executive branch a year yeah. to do certain jobs. What do you think about that? Where you, you know, I think you'd create, you'd have a higher caliber of people running for office who can say, look, I can take some time off because I'm going to be paid enough. Yeah. Whereas now it's like 50 and the per diem, but the per diem is really an offset yeah. to pay for, you know, going to Juno, right? So, so there's two, there's actually two thoughts there. One is, you know, should you pay people uh, more and you, you have, then you open the, um, the door to more people being able to go down it. That, that's actually a, a really important and really relevant conversation that I think we as, as um, lawmakers should have. And How many people have you ever asked to run? Who have said, are you fucking crazy? I got a job oh, and kids. And- there's, there's plenty of them. And, and, and actually, and, and you highlighted one other little thing there, which was, um, you know, you can't work another job. But you, New York, actually, several years back, they went ahead and did that. They, they right after, of course, they had to wait till after an election. Um, as, and that's what they flat out told me because I, I was confused at their timing. They said, we're going to wait until the after election. But they were going to increase their salary. But in, the return was going to be that you couldn't work another job. And that, and the the reason described from their perspective was corruption is what he's, what the, and at that time he was a, I think deputy speaker that I was talking to about that. But there's another piece that I think you have to think about when you talk about um, paying and full-time. My challenge with full-time is that lawmakers, the more they're together, the more they come up with bad ideas. And so the I don't think that they should. I don't think we sh- they should be year round meeting. Because well, you could you could still have the session. I mean, yeah, I like, think keep the session. Yeah, uh, ninety whatever it is, ninety days or one twenty. Keep that. Yeah, okay, that's important. When, when they're done, yeah, I don't, I don't mean be <laughs> there full time in session. I'm yeah. talking about keep the session, but then increase the pay commensurate with kind of the because anyways, yeah. you're, you're there. It's three even if it's three months, it's really four months because of right. going back and forth. And it's it's never really, it's only a few times been three months, right? So it's really like five or six months. Yeah. So, which, the, so the, I think that hits on, yes, I think that if we, you limit the amount of time, but yet you open up the, you broaden it by saying we're going to pay them more and, and you have a, a larger pool that you can draw from. I think that's a good, uh, that's, that's probably a, a really positive uh, um, opportunity that we as Alaskans should talk about. Now that I actually think that the per diem conversation, they should, I think what the, the, the salary commission has come up with is a much better situation because what happens is per diem gets you end up from both sides and depending on who has the ability to use it or not, it becomes a political tool. 
And you have to remove that as well. Well, the governor vetoed it, right, this last time. And then also I've talked to, I mean, I'm sure you've talked to him. I've talked to many people who, who have told me, oh, I'm sticking around for another couple of days to get the per diem. I mean, like they say it no, out loud. People it's, do. People it's not absolutely. even a secret. Right. So right. I think it's good to have per diem, but it's also people do. But it's, it's also such a small, the public gloms onto things like per diem that yeah. is such a tiny, insignificant part of the budget. I mean, like nothing. Right, it you you know, and I, I it becomes a distraction. But, from but the people think it's like budget. yeah, people think it's like oh my god, this you know, if we could just cut the per diem, we'd be fine. And that's and that's why I think you you need to remove that. You 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 pull that out so that you don't have lawmakers then making decisions based on per diem, which could be a political reason that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. If you now just say you know, here's your salary, and you figure out what you're going to do with Absolutely. it. Absolutely right. You know that's that's on you. You figure out what you're going to do. I think that then. Um, takes that away. So we're back to, okay, you get elected, you are, you're, you're paid and we're ta- at a certain amount. Some people won't like it, but um, you put that amount and from there you move on. I mean, tons of staff and for the, we do the Alaska political report. I don't know if you heard of that. It's a new thing I started. It's kind of like the old budget report. Okay. But we look at all the sta- staff salary lists and we produce those and yeah. we do the top 20 sta- you know, paid staffers yeah. and, and a whole bunch of the staff like a lot of the staff make more than the legislators. Uh, there's a, a, most staff oh. actually would, would make more than the, the legislators do. And, and some of them make, you know, so, several of them make over a hundred thousand, you know, they're stepped up and they, right. you know, they're the finance people they've been around and you know, you should pay those people because yeah. they could get a lot more money in the private sector, I think. But um, it's just odd that, you know, what other industry do the, do the employ you know the employees make more than the the bosses? <laughs> I used to tell some of my well, I had some of my colleagues. They would actually compete with each other on who was going to be there the latest. It was weird. It was like I was there at X time, and I was there at X time, and and I remember looking at one of them. I was like, "You do understand you have staff that are paid more than you. That it sounds like you're not utilizing." And and you know because it was like they were trying to shame me because shame us for not being there past midnight every single night. And I was like, yeah. you know, I'm going to go home and get some rest because I'm going to be back here tomorrow, back doing this thing. It sounds to me like you're not using your staff. So, some people have um, suggested, and I think other states do this, where you have staff that work for the committee, like like the resource committee yeah. or the finance committee. That's their full time. Yeah. Because it's interesting, and I've talked about this, and I've been in Juneau long enough where I've realized there's 60 legislators and there's 60 bosses. Yeah. And the way they treat their staff is 60 different ways. Absolutely. And and some of them make their, I mean, it's crazy. Some of them make their staff show up at 8 a.m. every day at the LIO in Anchorage yep. during interim. Right. Right, which I think is nuts. Right. Some of them, though, they don't, they don't, the staff don't do anything. That is true. Which too. is the other extreme, <laughs> right? Because, I mean, you have to, you know, during session, people are, the staff that are working are working 10, 12 hours a day, maybe. Yeah. Especially during the end. I mean, it's like seven days a week. Right. So it shouldn't be, you know, full-time year. I mean, you should get a little, a little extra break. But it's really interesting that I mean, some of the legislative staff. I mean, they don't do anything. That's for, for the, for, they don't do anything. Some some, some lawmakers. Don't, I, I would say that some lawmakers. And probably, I'm saying that's probably a small. I'm not saying. Yeah, that's a. There's some lawmakers that don't necessarily know how to use their staff, and that's part of the reason why. Uh, you know that. Um, you know, you've got some that have been there for a while um, that that know that what their staff they need their staff to do. You've got others that have brought in uh, um, uh, staff that have been around for a while, so those staff know what they need to yeah. do. But at the same time, you have some people that don't probably don't fully recognize how they should be using their staff. And in that case, you have staff that are underutilized, and 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 
those are also the offices where you're probably going to see a little bit more turnover too. Well, and some people get elected and they've never managed people. That is absolutely true. And it's managing people is not, it's hard. It is hard. And I've, you know, I've managed some people, a few, right. With landmine and other stuff. But I mean, when you start dealing with, with, you know, really complex stuff and, you know, the budget and and, and your district and all these, you have to be able to manage. Yep those people and hire the right people. Yep. To, yep. To, and you, you were there long enough. I mean, you probably learned very quickly how to. Well, I was fortunate. Um, I had uh, the two of my staffers uh, that I started with, uh, they ended with me. So I had them for all 10 years. Wow. Um, which is. Who's that? That's. That, um, Dirk, uh, Dirk Kraft and Jenna. Oh, uh, yeah, Dirk. Um, uh, Jenna Krause. And, but through that time frame. They were like all, Dirk. Yeah. Big uh, fan. Every, everyone, everyone tends to like Dirk, which he's a good guy. They should like him. Um, but through that time, I also had opportunities for other people to, to come on. And, and, uh, so we, I was fortunate to have some really great staff during that time. Uh, some that are still down there, uh, some that, uh, uh, you know, moved on and did other things, uh, both within the legislature. Uh, and so I was fortunate though, to have really great staff and, and team. And then, and then what would happen is many times when, you know, we would always get together as uh, staff. We'd have, you know, some staff lunches while we were down there. And they weren't, you know, here's business. It was, we're going to go out and we'd invite, in some cases, some of those people that had been staffed before that might have moved to other places, and they would join us. And they were always just such such good times to, to you know, kind of bring the team back together. But that was, you know, every that was our office. Every office is different in how they handle mm-hmm. that. And you see some that, that you know, they do have some some longevity in them, uh, and their staff, their staff, and those tend to be the ones where you also see the lawmaker uh, usually has m- ends up moving into a leadership position because they are able to. They have a team that's strong beside them and with them, and together, you know, they can speak for each other type of a deal. And together, they move forward. You, and and you look at look at some of the key lawmakers now, and you'll notice they've got some longevity in this. Oh staff. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've never won, but I've run a couple. To, and be, being in Juno, this last time I ended up dropping out, but. In my mind, if I were to, you know, win, I, w- I had a whole, like, lineup of, like, the best of, the, like, the smartest people you can find. Right, right. Way and, smarter than me. Those are the yeah. people you want there. Yes. Because that's how you, you know, advance. Absolutely. That's how, that's how you can do things and have an impact. That's absolutely right. So going back to the, you know, committee staff, some states have where the person works for the committee. Yep. We don't have that. I mean, we work for the committee, whoever the chair is, but... Um, yeah. What do you think about people who work for the committee and not the legislator? You know, I've you know I've been fortunate to be able to engage with people and other legislators um, throughout the country, and um, you know, there's pros and cons to both, right? There's the um, those individuals tend to be uh, experienced because they tend to be around for a while, uh, so that you can draw from their experience in managing that. Whoever the chair might be of that particular committee. Um, it, it also probably, again, depends on what you pay. A lot of, a lot of states, they might have someone that maybe is uh, almost like a front desk for, for four lawmakers, and, but they don't usually pay them all that great, so they get a lot of turnover. But uh, I find in the states, at least engaging with the people in the states where they have that committee staff, usually they've been there for a while. Uh, usually they're, they're paid well. And they tend to be some pretty good staffers. I've actually been able to benefit from some of those when I was the chair, um, CSG West. I was one of the, the, the federal state, uh, That's a council of state government, council of state governments. Yeah. They're, they're federal state relations, uh, uh chair. Uh, I benefited from having one of the, uh, one of the key staffers from Wyoming who, you know, helped me out and, and he, I never saw any kind of partisan leaning. He just really just, he helped. They, they kind of gave him to me as my committee aide 
and and he was really great. Uh, but he was not to one specific uh, individual there in Wyoming. He, it was uh, for the for the legislature. So you know, it. I think it. it Every state has their own thing that they've worked out, and you find engaging with all those other legislators that uh, they all have their positives and negatives. And um, you know, in our case, ours happens to be uh, you know a little bit more expensive because that's what we've created. But we're not you know look at New York and theirs is even bigger, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you know, every state every state figures out how to make it work. I do think in our case. Um, I do think we have to, we need to have a conversation though, as a former lawmaker. So I'm not benefiting those people that are listening. I'm not benefiting from, uh, from this, <laughs> but, um, we do need to talk about, you know, how we move away from that, that per diem dialogue and how we move away from it just being about salary. You got to take that out of the hands of, of the lawmakers, which we've done and then not make it a partisan issue afterwards and start beating each other up for it. If you want quality people if you want people that are going to put themselves out and get beat up, I mean, th- it's not just that you're leaving your family and that you're leaving your job. You're also going to put yourself out there. Well, I always tell people, I mean, they got to deal with people like me. Yeah. Which absolutely. I wouldn't want to deal, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't want to deal with me. <laughs> yeah. But people like yourself is in addition to all of the other challenges that you get. I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get people that are going to mail you stuff that are, you know, saying they're how much they hate your family. Uh, you're going to get some really crazy stuff. And that is an emotionally draining yeah. situation. I mean, I've heard voicemails and I've seen emails and, you know, some, some, some lawmakers shared on Facebook once in a while. But, you know, it's like you have the other segment of the population who are so mad that, I mean, they, they want to, I mean, you hear these things, put them on the fucking ferry or lock them up in a building. Right. It's like, no, what other industry do we, we, we want to like pay people nothing? Who are in charge of and you expect important to, you, things. You expect to have them manage billions of dollars. Yes. And, and you expect them to make decisions that will affect your life, that will affect your liberties on top of that. And I think that's why I think it's, a, it's appropriate for us to have that conversation. Now, should we be paying 200 grand? Eh, that, no, I'm not saying let's I think get out of control. I'm saying that, and, and I think that's, that's part of the dialogue, is w- what do we think is a, a, a comfortable uh, amount there, but I think lawmakers. I think it's it. We're well past that conversation, and every state has their their own priorities that they've placed on. It. I mean, like you go to you know, New Mexico, like they they That's pride themselves. Yeah. yeah, they pride themselves on what is it like a hundred bucks a year nothing, yeah. plus like a, some bucks and. But and, you can also New Mexico is a big state, but you can also just from anywhere in the state drive to Santa Fe in a couple hours. You know, three. I think yeah. the, the longest it would take would be like four hours. Right, but I'll, I'll give you one other thing about New Mexico that I thought was interesting. When uh, with some lawmakers and they were talking about it, they were kind of celebrating it right afterwards. They would talk about something that we couldn't do up here because we would we would go ballistic. And that was, you know, so that means, uh, you know, every night I'm usually trying to figure out which lawmaker is going to buy me dinner or which uh, sorry, which lobbyist is going to buy me dinner. And I was sitting there going. You what? What? You ex- excuse <laughs> wait, me, what? huh? It, you, it, wait, wait, right? And and I think that's one of the reasons why in our state we, you know, have at least increased. We're 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 we're, we're higher than we were is because that came right after, uh, that 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 kind of that corruption the period where yeah. where we recognized that some of these people were more apt to. Now, does does that mean that? Well, there's a story it, of who it doesn't it? forgive it, was but it, it. Which one was the one who had people drop off food at the? He's corn, corn, corn. He's, he's, he slept in there, and they put the shower in there, and 
lobbyists would drop him off food at the back door. You from, know? <laughs> from what I what I was told, he had he had like pockets sewn into his suit where he could put food and and from you know he'd go around and he'd have them bag up food at different places, right? You know, I mean, that is. Someone told me they went to dinner and he said, "Bring me some food." So they just they just got all the food that was left and like put it in the bag. Like yes, that's what I understand. They, they would do. Yes, and that's and that you know the that's shop, not they built the shower that, for him, right? I, that's what floor. I understood. I, I never walked into it because that was the one promise I made. Like, I, I don't make political promises because you don't. Like, there's certain things like I promise X and then you find out, oops, I didn't know what I was promising. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, one I did promise was I was never going to use that Vic Coring shower. So I never even <laughs> walked into that. I've See, never right, been in there. It's right by the press room. I know where it so, is and I've never been in it. So I, I mean, I've never used it, but I go in there. I'm like, oh, there's a fucking shower here. <laughs> yeah. Weird. And, but that was more of my statement of you're not going to have to worry about me with this challenge. Of course, we were coming out of that. But I, I think that that's, um, you know, it's important for us to have that conversation and, and dialogue. And I, I you know, we'll, we'll see how that, that goes. It, unfortunately, it tends to get... I mean, the, the other idiocy of this thing where lobbyists can't buy drinks or... I mean, you know, it's so stupid. The fact that you can't get a bar or buy, you know, buy a round or buy dinner. I mean, this is like... I mean, what person... I can't imagine there's anybody who would be influenced on a vote by a beer... It, or a dinner. I mean, that's just, to me, this is crazy. Yeah, the, the $15 or, you know, whatever that limit is, you know, if, if you are influenced by that, then there's a lot of other challenges that, you know, you were going to be influenced by yes, just yeah. about anything. And so, I, you know, but that being said, in other states, they have, you know, they pay lower, but then they also accept that, right? <laughs> the so, perks are, so, take me to dinner, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, kind of the, every state has that priority they've placed on different things. And, and of course, for our state, we've placed uh, that we want to, keep you away from that outside influence. And so with that came a little bit higher salary, Mm. but I think it's time to, to, you know, ask the, specifically about, you know, lawmakers in the legislature uh, that it's probably, it's probably time to uh, look at that again. Well, I want to talk about the election. So in 2018, Liz Snyder, now representative ran against you and you beat her. Mm -hmm. Um, And she kind of came out of, I never really heard of her before that. Right. And she ran a, a pretty, I mean, it was a real campaign. Yep. And I forget it was, it was, it wasn't too close. Well, I remember what, I forget what the 18 numbers I were. I can't remember. It was under 200, but it was hundred. It, it, it was, it was, it was, there was a, mar- I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't like blow out of the water. I, was, I wasn't going to in that, in my district. That wasn't, that's not the nature of my district. I, I knew that and everyone else knew that. So yeah, I guess it was closer than I, okay. So it was, it was kind of close in 2018. So then 2020 comes around. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've run a lot and I've, you know, known you for a long time and, you, you know, campaign really hard yep. at the door and, and, you know, through social media and all the campaign tools, the, the COVID thing happened. Mm-hmm. And, and as you know, I helped Mel Gillis out Yeah, and Mel was in a similar type district. I mean, you're probably a little bluer than, than Mel's, but you know, th- these, you know, the, the, the Biden Trump thing had a huge impact on our election. Yeah. And, 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 and the whole country, but here. So yeah. I guess talk a little bit about 2020 and you were kind of waiting. We took a month to finish the count in Alaska, which was, right. I remember everybody kept going to the division trying to figure out what the next round of absentees were. So yeah. I guess talk about what you think happened in um, you know, 2020. Well, you know, I think you can look back, you know, people, how do you feel about it? Are you, you know, bummed about it and do you feel you did something wrong and and i think one really key thing is i think our team did a phenomenal job um, if you look at the top of the ticket people that are my party uh they lost by anywhere 600 votes uh whether that was trump sullivan uh, just go down the, 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 this is the one thing i noticed is snyder 
got like 500, something like, I could pull it up on the thing, 500 votes less than Biden, right? Yeah. I, I, the fact that even after all of the other challenges, which we, you know, can talk about, that she only uh, was certified with 11 votes uh, really doesn't say that's, I did phenomenal, frankly, in, in the environment that we had with the, uh, and, it, and there were people that would say to me, listen, I'm, I, I don't like Trump and I'm, I'm going to vote for Biden. And I'm going to vote all the way down ticket. And which I saw, I heard that more this time than I ever had. The fact that the top of the ticket did so poorly and I'm, I got, I'm going to pull this up here real quick so we can take a look at it. Yeah. It's, I think speaks to, uh, I think my, my team, I think it speaks to how well we did the job that uh, there were people in the district that were uh, voting for me because uh, we had worked with them. I also think that there's some people that out there will recognize that I wasn't, that I was telling it how, as it is. And I, and I had people that came to me and they said, listen, I, I've heard what you said and I, I think you're, you're right. I wasn't flip-flopping and promising one thing or the other, which frankly my, my opponent did. I mean, were you, she, su- were you surprised when she came out on the debate and, and said she was a full PFD? No, because that's what she needed to win. Cause I never, I, f- I feel like I never heard her. She came out on the, it was the running, I guess, debate. Yeah. And she came out for a full PFD. And I remember she, thinking, she I never felt heard, she needed that to win. I never she heard her say that be before. Truthful. Maybe, had no. she had said that before? I don't think she had said that before. So no, so the, the year before she had said that we needed to get rid of it or two years before we needed to get rid of it, that we needed to tax. And it was district sudden, 20, 27, right? It was 27. And then she turned to, well, we need a full PFD and we don't tax until, you know, we don't change that until we've taxed the oil companies, but we're not going to tax you. That was a night and day different conversation than, than had had two years before, which means that, you know, she was doing what she felt she needed to win. Whereas in the conversation I was willing to have with people was the way I saw the environment by being down there for 10 years, the reality of the experience. And, and that wasn't, that was that that looks at many different things, right? That looks at the makeup of the legislature and where the legislature is and what you think you can. I used to tell my colleagues down there, I said, you know, that politics is the art of possible. Mm-hmm. And and that's how, you know, I went down there with that mindset, recognizing that you don't go try to get a 100 percent. Well, I would tell people that I would be at their door. I would engage with them. I would say, this is the reality of what I'm experiencing. It's really easy to go down when you don't have a record and knock on a door and say that you believe on X, X, Y, or Z. And then once you get down there, you realize the reality and you might get pressure to do something different. And that's exactly what happened, by the way. So, so Biden in that district got four, 4,844 votes. So 48, 44 Mm -hmm. and Snyder got 45, 62. So that's like 300 votes and you lost by, what is this? 43, 62 to four. Yeah, it's, it's like, it was 11 in the end. If you look at that, um, they actually, the certification was 11. Yeah. And this one, it says, I think 13, but yeah. wow. Yeah. So, so for the folks listening, I mean, you talk about people talk about in campaigns, the ticket, the, the top of the ticket, yeah, which is the president and the Senate and, you know, like, and there's this drop off usually. Yep. Um, and you actually got, so you got 4,570, let's say you got 4,562 votes and Trump got 4,324 votes. So you beat the ticket, Yep, which is uncommon. Yeah. And, and you'll notice if you go back um, to usually there's drop off when it goes down, yep. d- the down ticket, I, down, I, down I, ballot. I got more votes than 
uh, than Trump did in 16 in my district. So that was, and I think that's relationships. That's, that's knocking on doors every, every single cycle, engaging with people at their door. Um, and that was, that was the devotion that I had chose to make to my district. Now, not every district, um, people feel they need to do that. Some districts, they feel that as soon as they get through with, well, it used to be when they feel they get through with the primary red or blue, um, that, you know, oh, I had it and, and I'm good. And in my district, it was one that, one, you have to engage, but two, I had chosen that I was going to engage that capacity. And I think it showed in that last election. So that was one piece of it. The other, the other aspect of it was, you know, and, and I think this is something that, um, uh, you know, I had people afterwards that were sending me, you know, anonymous, I always love the anonymous stuff, uh, you know, anonymous uh, emails or texts or even cards. And they were saying, oh, you're a sore loser. Um, but when we went through the court challenge, you know, there were several things that we highlighted that were, I, I, frankly, the courts agreed with us. Well, I think anybody when it's that close, if she would have Anybody, I don't Democrat. She was ready to any, do anybody it. who's that close. Oh no, the, yeah, the Democrats gonna, told us that she was she gonna, was already lawyering up beforehand too. She I mean, was ready to do it. Some of this, I mean, I, I would say this Trump stuff is nonsense. All these, you know, voter fraud, you know, this national. But when a, when a race is within like ten or fifteen votes, doesn't matter who it is, they're gonna yeah. you're gonna look at it. I mean, that's even there's automatic recount when it's less than half a percent. Right, and and in this case, the court actually agreed with what we took to the court. So that was, they said that the division elections did not follow statute specifically in moving the precincts. Uh, if you look at the, if you look at their opinion from the Supreme court, did they move a, they moved the polling location you they, said, in your and they lawsuit? did it twice. That was the crazy thing. And they didn't tell the people after the first move. And it wasn't until I called them about two weeks before the election and said, are you sure you're not moving it again? And they said, no, we're not moving it again. We've, we've signed the contract. The next day is when they called the location. And where, was, where was it originally? So originally it was Wayland Baptist. Okay. And so what happened is at Wayland Baptist, they showed up on August 18th uh, or well, August 17th, sorry, the day before. And they were going to have to like sign in every, everyone. And, and they, of COVID? Yeah. They said, this is a problem. So they moved it from there to the Muldoon Town Center, which is right behind... Um, uh, Ding Hao, that the, the mall that used to be where East Forty Bowl is. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So they moved it. They moved it there in a day's notice. I wasn't. That was not. That's not what the lawsuit was. The lawsuit wasn't because of the primary. Uh, we recognized that challenge. They 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 identified it and they addressed it. We were frustrated, but that's why I called on I, I October twenty first, something like that. I, I called at the towards the end of October and I said, all right. On your website, you say that it's going to be over there. I want to make sure, though, that you're not going to change it at the last moment again. And they, they promised, it was absolutely, we've signed a contract, everything's good. The next day, they called that location to make sure everything was going to be okay. And the location said, no, you can't have it here. You didn't tell us that you were going to have it here. You left your crap here for two weeks. We have a lawsuit now because you left your junk here and people tripped all over it. They were like, you, we're not even sure that we'll even let you do this again in the future. We're going to let you have the one that you've always had here. But they were really ticked off at them. And so they said, you're not having that one here. And so all of a sudden, they're scrambling to find something. Our, my issue was not that they didn't have time in that time frame to the end of the election to communicate to the people that needed to vote that it was in a different location. My issue was they waited from August 18th until October 21st or 22nd, whatever it was, to even consider. Where did it end up? It ended up at Baggage Middle School. 
And so we, and then our next challenge was going and then knocking on doors in the winter where, you know, of course you had COVID going on. I actually had COVID and I couldn't leave my house. You know, you had those challenges where we had to go identify enough people. And the problem was, is we identified a few people and then we identified more after the, because we only had two weeks before the court deadline kind of cut us off. We, we had people afterwards that were coming to us and saying I was affected, but at that point it was too late for us to put it out there. So you're saying you think people wanted to go vote and sh- went to where on the election day, went to, um, where's the first one at? Um, they, well, I'm, original one. The, uh, Wayland. Wayland we did Baptist, have people that went there. And then they went to the Dinghao, place behind Dinghao. Yep. And, and then were there signs saying it's go to Baggage or they 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 actually we actually had people that ping ponged between um, the town center and Baggage there at the end and even actually here's even my opponent put on Facebook about four o'clock on the day of election hey we hear that some people are having problems because their website shows that it's still at the town center. Now, when asked about it under questioning, she said, "I don't do my social media. I don't was know." She, was she deposed? Uh, yeah, she was. She was. Ooh, I need to get a hold of that yeah, deposition. Where is who has that? So that was that was actually on the. It wasn't actually deposed. It was actually the k- trial, and she was there. And they, she was asked about it, and she said, "I don't do my social media. I have no idea." Even though her social media, it's there, man. Her social media said, "Hey, it's on their website, wrong, and people are mm-hmm. having problems." Um, you know, she she claimed she would she didn't know anything about it until. We brought it up, basically. I've always so, said that if I was ever, you know, I've run before in 2012. Like it was not too close. I got 40, almost 45 percent against Liesel, and then I got really beat in 2016 and Tasha and Craig Johnson. Right, right. I've always said I don't mind losing by a lot. Yeah, it's if you lose by <laughs> a little. In your case, you know, a dozen votes. Yeah, yeah, or something. And there's, there was a few. I mean, there was John Coghill. Yeah, you know, with Rob, who spent basically no money. I did a, did a podcast with him. He was kind of like. Well, fuck, I won. You know, like he's, <laughs> he didn't spend hardly any money. Right, right. And Coggle had a lot of money. Yeah. He didn't spend either. And the, so, you know, it's like that, what could you have done? But, you know, here we are. So. Are yeah. You- and, and here we are. And, and frankly, I look back at this particular year and um, I've had a great year. I mean, I, I, I don't, I can tell you the problems that I, and, and, and the things that I think need to be addressed specifically in elections. I mean, there's, a, there's other things we discovered that I, I won't go into depth here, but there's other things that we found that weren't necessarily something we took in the court case, but we recognized were holes within the election, uh, uh, the election process here in Alaska, specifically uh, Alaska, um, that I think, you know, I, I now have a voice to be able to go tell people, hey, we need to, we need to work on these things. But do I look back and I'm and am I weeping and crying because I wasn't down there? No, it's been a freaking, it's been a mess. Well, I, I told Mel, you know, that I think we worked really hard. You know, you were aware of the, our campaign yep. and um, he ended up doing, you know, I think he would have, if we wouldn't have done the campaign, I think it would have been a lot different. I mean, a, a much worse result. Yeah. But, you know, Mel's wife recently passed away, unfortunately. And, yep. you know, Juno was just so fucked up that I, I think, I, th- I, th- I think it's the best thing the yeah. outcome was, you know, things happen for a reason, right? And you right. have to seize that and either either embrace it or cry about it, right? And if you if you look back, you're never going to go, you know, go forward in life. No, and 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 frankly, it it's opened up the opportunity for me to look at other things that where you know it's it's one of those things. that's like, do you really want to kick them out of the legislature so they can go do other things? Because you may not like what they go do, and yeah. you know, I, I got to admit. 
they're probably, I'm, I expect in the near future and in, in the next couple of years, they're going to go, oh, crap, we wish he was still in the house. Because now you've opened up the opportunity for me to go out and do some stuff that you're not going to like because I'm going to be good at it. It's not like you kicked someone that was dumb out of the legislature. I, I, I would argue that I probably understand the process. I understand things very well. But I have experience that of 10 years down there that, by the way, you as the taxpayer paid for me to get that education that I wouldn't have got any other way. Are you saying you're going to become a lobbyist? I'm not <laughs> going to become a lobbyist. That's not what I'm going to do. But my ability to go out there and, and you know, do some really good things that you may not be happy with. Well, this is yeah, the, it's pretty strong now. the system and, and why the lobbyists have such an impact. And I've, I've learned, you know, I'm learning every day when I go down there. But, you know, you know better than me, there's levers. And there's so many of them yep. and, and the people who know where the levers are and know how to pull them. Those are the people and not very many people even know where the levers are, uh, you know, let alone how to pull them. There's a higher level of politics that most people don't even understand is being played. And, and it, by the way, it took me a couple of years to fully, fully recognize that myself. And there's a lot of people that still don't after time down there. There's a few people that get it. There's a few people that really are players. I actually, years ago, I had someone that was trying to convince me to run for um, uh, for a national office, and I looked at him and, and I said, you know, there's a lot of people. I was they, they were they were trying to look convince me to run for Congress, Congress and, yeah. and they said, uh, and I was like, there's like 400 people there, and they this was a national uh, individual, and they looked at me and said, but you know what? There's only a little over a hundred in, in that body that really actually are doings that can actually affect things that most people there are not it's either like, competent enough or they they just they don't have the the experience or they they're not there long enough that there's really only 100 people and they were they were trying to they were telling me they're like you would be one of those 100 people you need to do it that applies in every legislative body it's that like you Juno, have. there's probably i always say there's like 10 people there's who, only who, a handful who, who, who matter and and, and the funny thing is it used to be very you know in, in some cases more anchorage based now mm-hmm. it's Louise Stewart's is from Kodiak, Bert yeah. Stedman's from Sitka, Click Bishop's from Fairbanks, Neil Foster's from Nome. Yep. It's not the Anchorage. There's very few Anchorage people who have, I mean, Tuck's kind of majority leader and he's been around a while, but but the real seat of power and money, um, you know, is really not Anchorage based. No, it, and part of that goes back actually a little bit to longevity there, right? If you look at um, some of those guys, you know, Stedman, for example, he's been around for almost 20 years, almost think, 20 yeah. years, right? And so he's seen and done everything. Um, and I think that's one of the benefits. The next person that steps in, they're not going to have that ability to step in immediately and take over, yeah, specifically in that in that seat. When you were down there, you saw how clever Bert is with his little his antics oh, yeah. and tactics. And Bert's think, a sharp I, guy. I think you probably, I'm guessing you, some of the stuff he did didn't surprise you, but some of your members, especially the new ones, got very upset. To be frank, I told them what he was about to do. And and I got, there were instances where I flat out said, this is about to happen, and I'm telling you what we should do. And sometimes they listened, and sometimes they didn't. And uh, no, I knew exactly what Bert was going to do. I But there are people that, you know, if you're new, you think, well, that's not how it should go. And the reality is, that's how it goes. And so there was, there was instances where, we flat out, I, I said, let's not I'll, I'll do what you, you know, I'm, I, do what we want, what we, you would like for me to do. But I'm telling you that this isn't going to work because this is what he's about to do. So, so this, I want to talk about the legislature and your time in, the, in there before when it was more normal and, and yeah. now where it's not as normal. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with an 18. I think the house had a nearly quarter, quarter turnover. 
Yeah. And then in 20, there was even more. Right. When you, when you were first elected, I mean, you had Kurt Olson, uh, yep. Mike Chenault, mm-hmm. Peggy Wilson, um, many others that have been there for a long time. Absolutely. Max Grunberg, we talked about yep. before, before the podcast. P- folks that have been around and had the knowledge. Yep. And I used to kind of be one of these people when I was younger, fucking get rid of all of them, put in new people, we'll fix it. Right. And I've come to realize that is the worst idea ever. <laughs> because even when you have a lot of new people, not just, not just a, you know, all yeah. of, all new, but, but many new people, it gets so screwed up because nobody, nobody, everybody thinks everything's screwed up and everything's corrupt and everything's bad and they have no frame of reference, you know? Yeah, I, I benefited from Reggie, I think had... Uh, Jewel. Yeah, Reggie Jewel, I think he had like 16, 18 years. Uh, Alan Osterman was like two years less than that. Um, uh, there was someone, someone else was in there with like 14 years. Uh, we had Peggy Wilson who'd been there for a while. Uh, of course, Chenault at that point in time had been there for about, I think, 10 years. And you had, you had Hawker and Crayo. Oh, yeah, been for Mike 10 Hawker, years. yeah. Um, uh, you know, I mean, there was just, and, and then, and then some of those people though had been like, for instance, Craig Johnson had been in for, uh, six years, I think that at that point, but he had also been staff prior to that. So he also had different experiences. Yeah. Like Chuck Cop, for example, was a staffer. He was a staffer. Whereas a lot of other people. Um, I'm thinking like Chris Kirka, Ben Carpenter, even Liz Snyder. Um, you know, they have had, I don't think any of them had any experience before. New, absolutely brand new to Juno. And you walk in and you don't know what in the world's going on. And there's no one there to mentor them either. One, because in some cases they've chosen not to be mentored. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm here on some sort of mandate. But two, there aren't people that will do that, that are there that have the capability no. to do that. I mean, it took me, my first session was 19 coming down there. And... You know, I pay attention to politics probably a lot more than the average, yeah. much more than the average person. I had no idea. I felt very out of place. Right. I had no idea where anything was. You know, normally I walk into a place and I'm very comfortable and I was um, a bit intimidated by the, by the bu- just the building and the presence and the people. Yeah. And, you know, it took me probably, I'd say a, f- a solid session to even just kind of get my bearings. Yep. Yep. And that's that- before I really kind of started to, you know, the next year I went back and then there was COVID, but, you know, I've been down there enough to where I've you can kind of figure out, you know, what meetings are important, what meetings yeah. are bullshit, yeah. you know, who, who, what, what, you know, you can kind of figure all that out, but it takes a long time. And, and that's me as somebody who's kind of free to roam around and pay attention. If you're stuck in an office and on committees, you don't even have that ability to go out there and kind of roam around right. and, and really learn how, and I've had the benefit of a lot of lobbyists who have kind of taught me a lot and, and, and kind yeah. of shown me the ropes so I can't even imagine how you would do it if you were stuck in an office and constituents and emails and committees. Yeah. This, you know, and, and of course, COVID is going to hamper those people even more. Like you said, the uh, being stuck in the office. I know when I first got down there, I, I, I walked into my um, orientation and the HR guy didn't even know who I was, right? He looked at me and he was like, uh, what are you here for? I said, orientation. Oh, Skiff? Yeah, Skiff. And it was really, I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious because Skiff looks at me and he goes, he goes, well, staff orientation is down the <laughs> hall. And I, and I looked at him and I said, so what's in here? And he goes, this is legislator orientation. I said, so I think I'm in the right place. And he was like, and it was, I mean, it was, it, it was really, it's just funny, you know, but you go down there in Juneau and you think one, everyone's going to bow down to me. The reality is, is that the system that you're down there, you have to become a part of yeah, understanding I mean, that. Kawasaki told me when he first got elected, Pam Varney was like, um, staff's over there, please leave. Yeah, and he's he, like, yeah, he told uh, me that. and then even Sarah Rasmussen, when she was first elected, the yeah. uh, the staff lounge. Yes. They said, can you please get out of here? And she's like, 
why? <laughs> <laughs> See, or I'm sorry, the legislative the legislative rounds. But you have that. But in addition, you know, I took I took the opportunity when I first got elected. In my first two years, I was on six different committees, and so that gave me the opportunity to engage with all of those different people I highlighted earlier. Um, the people that have been there for a while. I was on committees with these different people and it gave me the chance to build those relationships with them. Members of both party. I remember actually uh, uh, I'm thinking like judiciary when I I was on there my first two years, Lindsay Holmes and Max Greenberg were the two minority members on that. And I got to know the two of them, you know, very well. And, and during that process, that was something that I had this, this really great opportunity uh, to be a part of, well, if you're down there now and you're kind of sitting in your office, you got COVID, one, you're not going to have that ability to do it. Two, it's very charged down there. You don't really engage with people on the other side as much because it's just kind of there's this animosity mm-hmm. that's going on. And I think, you know, just it's it also there's a different environment when you don't have money. And I was fortunate that I had the people that I was with, some of them had gone through no money. And had then come up and knew what it was like when the state had money. And so they were able to, yeah, let me tell you about it. Let me, let me give you that experience. Right now we're coming off of a, well, we're used to having all this money. Why can't we do that? That's kind of a... It, it, that's the opposite. That's the opposite. And it changes what you do and, what you en- and how you engage down in Juneau. Um, it, because it's... It's uh, uh, instead we had people saying, hey, you know, we got to we, we got to be careful about this or in some cases we're free to do whatever we want. It's a different environment. And that's going to create some of that animosity that you see down there. So you were the majority leader at the end of, I'd say, kind of the more normal period. Yes, I was. And then you became minority leader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was in let's see, there was 1920. Yep. And that was when, you know, um, Carpenter had been elected. Uh, Eastman had been there for a while. I think the second term. Yep. There had been who were some other ones that had. There were some other new ones. Revac was new. Revac Rasmussen was new. was new. Yep. Laddie Shaw was new. Yep. Kelly. Uh, Kelly Merrick was yeah. Um, um, uh, Sarah Vance. Sarah Vance. Is, so you had several people mm-hmm. um, that were new, but then you had several. I, I would kind of say like the Eastman Vance Carpenter contingent that were um, very unorthodox or different than many people had been in the legislature. And, you know, it's no secret you sometimes very publicly had to deal with all of that. And, and I, I want to just kind of talk about how it was for you. You were by far, I mean, you were one of the top seniority people. Yeah. Weren't you? I think I was seventh in seniority out of the 40 at that point. Yeah. So how did you, you know, because it's obvious to us watching and the public that it, it give, that caucus was very um, fractured. It's still It's still fractured. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, but it, it was, but it wasn't. I mean, we had a couple individuals who um, uh, might have been a little bit more, uh, might not have been as strong with the team in that particular situation, but there was actually the ability to, the fact that we stuck together through all of that, I think shows that it wasn't a total fracture. There were differences in opinion and thoughts there. Um, but you know, I've always, I've always held to the notion myself that teamwork is messy. 
uh, you know, if, if, if everyone in that room aligned completely, then we, we have a bigger problem. Um, we, we should have debate. We should have, you know, the differences in the conversation. It's how you handle those differences. Do you, do you poke someone in the eye and go out there and publicly say, Hey, they're a terrible person because you disagree. Or do you instead decide that, you know, we're going to sit in here. We're going to talk about where we align. We're going to, we're going to compromise together and, and, and move forward with that. And I think the dialogue that we got to have in our caucus allowed for that to happen where we can go out there and we didn't always agree on everything, but in the end, you know, we would figure out a way to, to move forward. Uh, you know, since then I, I haven't watched it. I've, I've heard people say, you know, the differences in both caucuses down there that they both have their challenges. I expect them. Well, to I remain. mean, the majority has 21 and, and, you know, Garen Tarr is early on threatened to she quit or kind of quit. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, they have a one, uh, member majority. Yeah. And, and the minority, I mean, I think with the addition of, of people like Kevin McCabe, who has been very vocal and, you know, I think Kathy Tilton is not, she's a minority leader by title, but I think that, you know, McCabe might have a lot more influence on what that caucus does. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think Kathy, you know, she has experience at this point. She's been down there I think longer than anyone else in that caucus, or at least pretty. She close was in the majority it. at one point. She was in, yeah, and she has that experience of being in the majority. So you know, I think she still has a, a lot to be able to to bring to that dialogue and the conversation. I'm not in those caucus meetings to tell you, you know, probably lucky what they're, you know, how much they're they're listening to. But I, I think, you know, if they if they if they don't listen to her, then they're they're actually losing out on on some of the experience. She's a quieter person. But she's also, um, you know, pretty pretty sharp person, and and so, you know, and and I, you know, McCabe, I've my experience with him is not yet. I mean, it wasn't in a legislative setting, so I didn't mm. get that chance to engage with him to really, you know, understand how he would be like in that setting. He is a very strong personality, but they would be wise to, you know, heed some of the advice that she does bring uh, to the table, and and ultimately in the end, they've they've their 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 dialogue has got to be a way different than the dialogue you're going to have in the majority. The majority is, you know, there's a lot, it's a, the, the power in a majority creates some really weird dynamics inside. Well, the minority, what power, right? You, you really don't have that. Your goal is only to find yourself in that majority. So you yeah. really need to find yourself putting a lot of things, setting them aside so that you guys can move forward. Well, we, you know, it's no secret the majority has problems. I mean, there was times they couldn't go to the floor for yep. days because they didn't have a quorum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think some people gave the minority a tart, hard time for not making quorum. I said, you know, if I was there and, and it's, there's no love lost right now between those caucuses, yeah. I don't know what you would have done if you would have given them quorum or not. But I Actually, I, I think it is not... It is not the responsibility of the minority to make quorum. That is the responsibility yeah. of the majority. It's the, you know, when, when we originally sat in, in one of the meetings that we had, um, and, I, and I don't want to go develop too much because I'm always very cautious about uh, some of the private conversations, but I remember being in a, in a meeting um, uh, early on when we were in a, a minority scenario and, and we thought we might be in a majority set, set situation. And I remember telling everyone, I said, you know, if we're in that majority um, environment, you, you, you need to recognize that uh, if you do not choose to include other people, if you don't you do not choose to grow that that the number in your majority, then it means no one's allowed to be sick. It means that no one's allowed to have some reason why you're not there because the responsibility of the majority is to govern and to yeah. govern means that you are present. 
So it's not on the minority. That's one of the many tactics, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. Look overseas. If you look at any of the parliamentary environments Oh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it happens. Yeah. So it's not the minority's responsibility. It's the, it's a, the, it is the majority's responsibility. And the other piece to that is if they, and, and, and this, is, this has been a challenge since, uh, really since Chenault has been there. Chanel used to reach out to the minority, the relationship between he and, and Beth Cartula. I remember Beth Cartula once telling me, she was like, listen, Harris used to do stuff just to mess with me, but, but Mike well, and John, I get along John with Harris, yeah. yeah. And, and I think Chanel had this, uh, he, he, he brought in the minority and he engaged them more so that they didn't feel like they were totally on the outs. We have not had that since then. And so what that is, if you want to have the minority play a role and, and Hey, I, I don't have the numbers, but I really want you to engage Then treat them like humans and not like crap. Just because you have the power doesn't mean that you need to do it. Well, and the thing with like, I think people forget this and you, you wouldn't because you were there, but Neil Foster and Bryce Edgman used to be in the majority Republican majority yeah, they did. for a long time. Yeah. And, and, and now we're at this point where it's like you said, it's very, contentious in these within within these caucuses you mentioned the majority's drop to govern i just have to mention that i think it's so bizarre that the senate cannot pass a budget or a dividend without democrat votes right the senate majority got i think eight or nine it was like eight or nine votes on the budget right they need 11 they relied on the democrats they did for the budget and for the dividend yeah which you know that's a different relationship than the house because tom Megich could have said fuck you Good, good luck pass, right. passing a budget. But then he's smart enough to know that that could backfire too. Well, you know, four years and, and you know, the four-year terms as opposed to two-year terms creates a different environment, right? It, it, there's, there's a little bit more longevity. Uh, you end up with, they used to say that, you know, in the House you have friends, in the, in the Senate you have colleagues. Well, you do have colleagues over there. You have to be very careful about those relationships. And so that's why you see a different dynamic in any Senate, frankly, in any Senate body very different than what you see uh, in the house. But, you know, I also have this other little feeling myself that I, it was um, when we first ended up in the minority, I remember I was talking to Lindsay Holmes and Lindsay Holmes, she said, you know, I think every legislator should be in the minority at some point in time in their career. And she's right. And why is she right? Because Max Grunberg actually was a, was uh, really good at, um, uh, I think he kind of pinpointed it really well too. Max had been in the majority and then he was in the minority. And so he became passionate about preserving the rights of the minority, even though he had mm-hmm. been in the majority. Well, I think part of the challenge that you have right now, and you mentioned Bryce, you mentioned Neil, they've never been in, I guess, Neil, Neil and Bryce had been years ago at their very beginning of their, their careers, but they really haven't had that experience uh, in that minority in a place where they were in a, uh, a position to be able to yeah, Was things. Bryce in the minority back when he... Very briefly, um, Neil was for a year because he made a commitment to the Democrats uh, when his uh, dad passed. They, he made a commitment that he would be in their caucus for the remainder of his, of his term, okay. and they made put him on finance uh, at that time. Then he came and joined us. I believe that Bryce was in, it was like maybe a year, maybe maybe two. I, he was elected in, I think it was six, right? Yeah, he came in with Reggie and uh, Bob. Uh, and he was a staffer, so Bryce actually had kind of been. He's, he's been, yeah, he's been around for a while, and so I, you know, I think that everyone should spend some time in that minority. All these new people that came in, and we we watched it. You know, when Max uh, when Max is gone, you you had Ivy that came in. She spent a year in the minority, and then she was in the majority. 
I think, you know, extended time in the minority gets you the understanding of how are you going to treat people in the majority? You're going to treat them different if you understand what it's like to not have that voice. What, what do you think about this, this last session? I'm sure you heard about it or saw it, but this effective date nonsense yeah. that, that happened. I mean, that, that was, I've never even contemplated. I just thought that was kind of a, <laughs> a, a given, you know? So for the folks listening, Bills are effective 90 days after they're passed in Alaska by the Constitution, yep. unless you pass an effective date clause, which t- requires two-thirds vote of each body, so 14 in the Senate, 27 in the House. Yep. Now, the majority only has 21, yep. and the budget didn't get passed till June something. Right. So if there wasn't an effective date, July 1st is when the budget starts with the new fiscal year, it wouldn't have been effective for until September. Yep. There was all these lawsuits. It was a big question about There was these attorney's general opinion from like the fucking seventies. Yeah. But, but you know, this was a tactic ultimately had some success. What do you, I mean, would you have advocated for that kind of thing? So it is, it had been deployed back in 15 or 16. I can't remember which year by the Democrat minority at the time. Really? I see. I don't, Um, I guess I wasn't paying as close of attention then. So they ended up recognizing kind of that it, what it they ended up recognizing what it did and they went back and changed so it didn't blow up until like it, it did this it, last it year it didn't blow up like what we saw because they originally went and i think we were in the bill ray center at the time um i think so it would i can't remember which one of those i think that was 16 so they uh they voted against the effective date and i remember we we gave them a hard time afterwards they're like do you guys recognize what you just did how close was it do you remember i think we had 25 or 26. So it was like one, one yeah, a few so votes. We, we only needed a couple of, of them. And, the, and they, so they, they decided together, they stuck together, decided that they uh, were not going to vote for the effective date. They also decided not to extend 10 days when we were at the end of the 120. And I remember asking one of them, I was like, why didn't you do it? And they said, well. And you were a majority leader? At that point, no, I was on finance at that okay. point. That's when I'd moved to finance. I remember asking, uh, you know, why did you guys, why didn't you do it? And they said, well, there was a member, and I'll protect that member, that there was a member that, uh, you know, didn't didn't want to extend, and so we chose not to do it. So they stuck together, and they voted together. Um, so they, on a couple occasions in that situation, they didn't extend. They also didn't um, vote for the effective date. Well, they ended up, I think, after the initial effective date, kind of recognizing what that did and probably got pressure from different places, they came back and, and we rescinded our action and they ended up uh, voting for it. And I can't remember how long it was before they did it. So then, the, yeah, this wouldn't have been a big, this last time it actually lasted for a this, long time. This last time actually had a, a longer term effect and it is a tactic. And, and I think part of the, what the, part of what the majority needs to recognize um, in dealing with, with some of the individuals that might be in the minority um, you know, you've never given them an opportunity to really be a part of the dialogue. And so in some cases, if, if, you, if you're encountering someone and they feel they don't have anything to lose, what, what do you, th- they, they might just stick to it. And I think you saw that this time. Do you, do you think how many people in the legislature, let's say in the minority in this case with this effective date, really understand or kind of un- contemplate or truly understand what would happen if there was a government shutdown? I mean, there, there'd be some really bad things that, I just read this book, um, The Fifth Risk, by Michael Lewis. It's about the Trump transition and how kind of fucked up it was and, you know, the Department of Energy and Agriculture and Commerce. And, you know, there's so many things the government does, federal or state, that, you know, I know it's easy to say the government sucks and, you know, everything's corrupt and everything's incompetent bureaucracy. But there's, you know, we hear about the, it's it's easy to write about the bad, corrupt. It's easy to write about that. Yeah. But nobody writes about the good things very rarely, very rarely. 
And there's a lot of things the government does um, yeah, well, that would be very noticeable if it shut down. And I wonder how many people even kind of think about that. You know, I, I, I think there's um, probably both in the public and in lawmakers, sometimes it's just, it's a natural thing to not fully understand until something happens to not fully understand the ramifications of something, right? You, if, if every day you go to, hey, I go to the DMV because it's there because I need to, and all of a sudden they say you can't go to the DMV, mm-hmm. well, how am I supposed to get my license renewed, right? That, then all of a sudden that becomes a reality for you. If, if you're a fisher, if you're fisherman or woman and you're, you're out there and you're trying to fish and, and you're told, hey, you can't fish, you know, those, those things, for the most part, you've never experienced that. And until you experience Trying to that, get a business license. Trying to get know? a business license. All of those sort of things. And, and those are ramifications of a shutdown in the state of Alaska is that those things would take place. But, but again, if, you're, if you are uh, a lawmaker uh, that um, has been trying to be heard and your constituents you know, are telling you that they want you to do that, you may not think twice if you didn't get to be a part of that dialogue. And I think that's what the majority, there's, there's a part here that you can focus on the minority and their role and the minority and the majority, both, both uh, play a role in this. And, and they, if, if there's any responsibility, it's on both of them. Well, there, in, there's, in, there's specific language in the rules about the minority. I mean, uh, there, there's right. There's protections and, and like certain certain thresholds, CBR vote and, and different procedural votes. You know, you need the minority sometimes. Right. And I think that's what what I saw from afar and talking to some lawmakers that would call, you know, call me and say, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Was that I do not believe that the majority recognized that you still need the minority. And even if you didn't, don't you want the minority so that you can go out there and not be seen as making partisan decisions? I don't want to have you reveal anything or say, say anything bad, I guess, but I mean, how bad when you were minority leader, how bad was it between you and the majority, the minority, and the majority compared to where you were before when you were the majority leader? So, um, you know, I tried to engage, uh, I tried to engage the leadership over there and some of the leadership was a little bit better than, than others. Um, I would say that I probably worked pretty hard to, you know, keep that relationship up over there. And, and at times that actually meant doing some, uh, doing some stuff that I, a member or two of mine might not like, um, for instance, kind of going to the speaker and saying, Hey, you know, just, you're going to expect this during this session. Um, just so that, he didn't think that I was blindsiding him because that was also a personal thing. I don't like to blindside people. Um, and I would actually tell my, I would, in times I'd tell my caucus, I'd say, listen, I, I'm going to go to the speaker and I'm going to tell him that this is what you're thinking so that we're, you know, we can hope, hopefully build that relationship. You know, the unfortunate thing was there were times that I would go and do some of that and then they would come back and then not inform me of certain things. And then it, well, they would take of, the information and they would, they yeah, would use it, it. it would defeat the credibility that I was doing of trying to build, do the, the bridge building within the, between the two caucuses. Um, and so I found that that actually, that actually my attempt to as, uh, bring the two sides together. And maybe that's just because of my longevity that was there. And I saw, I know what it's like to be able to work together that um, it actually hurt the relationship even further. So now I'm not there, and you've got people that have been absolutely damaged by actions that have been taken in previous legislatures, and people don't forget, right? They hold on to that kind of stuff. So, I mean, my 
but my caucus, there were times where they, you know, we were able to do a few things. We were able to get some things done because I would go and engage that, that was, that was about as close as I think you probably would find to it being as what it was like when I was there in the good times, because beyond that, you know, I mean, you know, Sharice, Sharice tried to as well, but you know, you just, that was the relationship then was, uh, you know, I'm going to get back at you from the majority to a, to a point. And so that was not healthy. She couldn't do anything to bridge that. And then since then, it just seems like it, it since even I've been there, it, it just seems like it's gotten even worse. What, how did they treat you when they needed you, for example, the CBR vote or other procedural votes? What happened? I mean, how did that go? So I told them at the beginning of the, I actually told both the leadership in the House and the Senate what I thought was feasible for getting those CBR votes at the beginning of both sessions. And in both cases, they didn't want to talk about it. Uh, in both cases, it was a hard conversation. And so they just waited until the end of session and they thought that magically it was going to happen. And what I told them was going to happen if they didn't at least listen or at least try to work with us is exactly what happened. They didn't listen to me. And I think that was failure in leadership by both leadership of both bodies at the time, because they were warned. It was, I was in And I don't want to say warned. That's a, that's what I told them what my caucus that they wanted to be a part of it. I, I said, let's talk now. And actually you saw this year and obviously not the, the PFD debate, the biggest failure of every single one of these leaders, all of them, every one of them is that they don't want to talk about it because I don't, it's too, it's, it's a difficult conversation they should start by gambling in and saying that very first thing we're going to do is we're going to solve this. No, you're thing. right. I mean, I was down there and I kept saying, it's like, it's bizarre. This has, it's like April and nope, there's really not been any talk about it. No, they, it's, it's like, it's like if we don't talk about it, then it doesn't happen. And then at the end, they hope that they can kind of shove it through and okay, it's okay. I got it through. It's like you're watching the, like the little water leak from your roof and you're like, Oh, that's fine. Yeah. That's so only a little bit, you know, and then the fucking roof collapses. Exactly. And that was exactly the same kind of environment. I said, listen, this is what they're, they want. And, and, and I expected for them to come back. Right. I expected, okay, well, let's talk about it. Well, we can't do that. And our people won't do that. Instead, it was just like, eh, we don't want to talk about it. And they didn't, they wouldn't talk about it. And so then all of a sudden, when they came to me at the very end and said, we need you for this, I looked at them and said, it's not happening. And, and perfect example would be, uh, they wanted us to extend 10 days after the first session of, so that would have been 19. They wanted us to extend. And I remember walking in and I said, it's not going to happen. And I told you it wasn't going to happen. I told you weeks ago it was going to happen, but I will go talk to my caucus. And sure enough, I mean, as soon as I got up there, at first thing out of their mouth was no way. So I went back and it was like they were, I, re I remember walking back into the room and one of the specific leaders, oh, they were like so mad at me. Like I hadn't done my job. And I was like, I told you a long time ago, if you, you would say engage, who? I'm not going to say who, I'm <laughs> going to protect that. Uh, if, if you would engage with us that we could have dealt with this, I warned you. So, so what would you um, say? One of the things that I heard back in 19 was that they were nervous to engage with you because, you know, your wife, Marianne, was working for the governor and she was making a good salary. And, and they thought, you know, maybe you and your caucus was more kind of with the governor than with, you know, the legislature. I mean, was it a fair, maybe talk about that and, 
And that, and that was out there. I mean, people would talk about that. Yeah, I know. I love the sexism there. Um, that somehow my, I got that all the time that somehow my wife and I, like she couldn't do her job independent of me. Um, mm-hmm. My wife and I did not engage on these things. Um, and actually you could talk to other people that were um, uh, in the governor's office or, or when we didn't, it was not something that we engaged on. I, uh, uh, late after my wife was gone, she told me about um, uh, one instance where she was in a meeting and there was something that had happened and they were, they looked at her and she was like, oh, I don't have any idea. And the chief of staff at the time said, he goes, yeah, they're like, they're weird like that. I mean, we did not engage in it. And, um, and so there were people that, you know, I'd like, listen, if you want to just somehow place it on that, we can't put that, that wall there. Uh, we did. And we were able to do that. But yeah, some people, I think it was more of an excuse that people would use. Um, you know, they would, if they, if, you know, they would kind of say that behind the scenes, it wasn't an issue that we had and they would have found it wasn't an issue that we had. Um, you know, the governor had his, had the things that were important to him. Our caucus had the things that were important to us. Now I will say that one thing I did do was I did engage as the minority leader, as the Republican leader in the house. I did engage with the governor um, because frankly, at that point in time, we were kind of looking for friends um, and the governor needed a friend and we needed friends. And you found us working with him on certain things because of the, as a caucus, because of the fact that, you know, we weren't getting anything we weren't getting any help from anyone else in the leg- legislature at that point in time. And um, the governor was in the same situation, but that wasn't because of my wife, but people, I, it was people used as an, that as an excuse um, uh, consistently. Um, they would try to bring in, you know, they, how much she was paid, even though she was paid so much more or less than the person that was there before her. And, and they would just try to kind of, it was, a, it was an attempt to try to, uh, you know, embarrass me as the leader. Mm-hmm. And the, the truth is the matter. My wife's a very independent and strong-willed person. I'm a very independent and strong-willed individual. She's very strong-willed. I can tell you. I know, I know her <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> and so, you know, and yeah, we have the ability to, you know, do our own thing and, and not, not cross. And, uh, but uh, yeah, like I said, it was more of an excuse than anything that people were trying to use. So I want to talk about redistricting. You're still with this new map, as long as it's stay, it could change, you know, with the re- lawsuits, but yeah. unlikely on the House side. Um, you're still with Liz Snyder. Are you thinking about running? Have you want to make an announcement here? No, and I honestly have no idea. I'm asking you for the first time. So, um, No, I've looked at the maps. I've looked at things. You know, I haven't made any decisions on exactly, um, you know, what is next. Uh, You know, there's the House seat. There's the Senate seat there. You're in the, as it currently sits, which one are I going to pull the map up? You're in the... It's it's the South Eagle River and then my district, which is the Tudor Muldoon Curve. Right, yeah. So so one of the ones that one of the lawsuits is... Yeah, one of the lawsuits is about. So, you know, and I... Which, by the way, and I've said this, this used to be this way before the last redistricting. Yeah. It used, there used to be two, like, this is, this is how it used to be. My, my senator was Anna Fairclough. She was, and she lived in Eagle River. So. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, that's like, look, they draw the lines. It's it's a partisan process. The, yeah. the people act like it's it's this fucking beyond kind of out of control gerrymander. It used to be like that before 2012. Yeah. Wilikowski used to represent part of Eagle River. Yeah, well, if you look at actually the, the rules on redistricting focus on the house, house seats. Correct, yeah. The Senate's very the Senate is lax. basically you got to be next to each other. 
uh, right? That that's about as much as there's a little bit more, including the um, you know try to you can't you, you got to keep them within municipalities best you can. Basically, there's like some ra- racial, socioeconomic. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm no, not, I think it's more race. But there's not even that for contingent. the Senate. The Senate doesn't even have those. That's the House. So you can actually there's more leeway with the Senate in pairing, and I think there's also more. Um, if you go back, look, you know, court uh, um, uh, precedents that allows for a little bit more leeway in the in the Senate. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting how this case goes. But like I said, this is not some unheard of, unprecedented thing. It used to be that way. So no. that seat is open, right? No, that would be or Laura no, Reinbold. That's, Rein, that's the Reinbold seat because she's way yeah. up there. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, you know, if I decided to run, I'd I'd win with whatever, whatever I ran in. But at this point, uh, you know, I'm I'm still. Uh, you know, waiting a little bit, partly on the lawsuits. It's no reason to get it too excited about anything, but also, you know, seeing if what else is out there. And, and I got to be frank, I'm also enjoying, you know, spending time yeah. with my family, but, um, uh, uh, you know, I, th- I think that, uh, I also got to ask myself, is this the right time to go back to the legislature? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, you know, if, if I feel like I also can't go back and be effective cause it's too much of a, a you know, mess down there, yeah, I'll take that into account too. You know, if uh, there's no reason to go down to Juno if you're only one of however many, 20 or 40, and there's no desire to actually move Alaska mm-hmm. forward, then, you know, you just get frustrated being a part of the, the, the mess. Well, if you're running against Reinbold, you could just basically say, like, Lance Pruitt, I can get to Juno. <laughs> yes, I can get to Juno. I can actually get to Juno. So, what do you think about the new? Voting system. This is very different. This single primary and ranked choice. Yeah. Um, very, very different system. We barely, you know, very close margin when it passed. So I think actually one of the mo- more unique problems that are going to come out of that is actually the transition, gubernatorial transition. Whether whether it actually happens this time or not, or we have to wait to figure out, you know, four years later. Um, if you notice that the, you know, the, the governor is elected on November early November and sworn in December 3rd. First, I think, is it the, uh, the, the, the first, it's, it's the, like the first Monday in December. It's like the first something of December. It's yeah. early December, which is yeah. different than the legislature, which is the first day of session exactly. in January. So you have a month to transition and there's a lot that goes in in that transition process. And of course, then two weeks later, there's a budget that's, that's introduced to the legislature. Well, in this particular case, you heard, we heard from the division of elections that they won't even start doing the process of, the ranked choice, you know, moving uh, the second and third choices. They're reallocating or recycling. Exactly, until they have all of the uh, absentees in, which is at least two weeks after uh, the election. So you're talking about at the earliest. Yeah, almost like early, past mid-November. Right. Unless someone gets 50%. Do you think that in our statewide elections? No way, no way. We're not. And I think the governor's race will go down to the last two. Exactly. I think every, every time it's going to go down. So you're going to have some kind of whoever it is go off or maybe get no votes. And then the third person could be a Democrat. Yep. And that's going to get real, you know, reallocated. Um, so, so no, I don't think there's going to be. So if you have to transition, you don't have time to transition. And so basically we are going to be handing a new administration um, or, or just an adjusted administration in some cases. Um, you're going to be handing them the keys without really having gone through the process of making the, uh, of doing the preparation for them to step in. I mean, if you look at the city, we have what, three months for them to make a transition. 
we have a month right now in the in and well with the runoff i mean may Ju- yeah two few months oh, yeah no, you're, yeah two months two months you're right if there's no runoff it's three good yeah. point good point two two months there you have about a month right now you're going to have even less and let's say that you then have court challenges after those two weeks you're talking about a process where you do not have a transition period for the governor. Why aren't they? I mean, I, want, I mean, I guess that's a good point because if they start if, you, if they started recycling and the new votes come in, you can't do it until you have all your votes. Then you really, you really yeah. cannot do that because you have to wait. And they've they've stated it, and we saw how last time we were kind of the nationally they were looking at us going a hey joke guys. we were last florida yeah. beat us and florida has 25 million people exactly. but they have done absentees for a long time and this is going back to the election stuff i have no problem with the vote by mail in anchorage because they spend a lot of time setting it up there's many checks in place and and, and you know the signature verification um, it's not perfect nothing but you know i don't have a problem with the anchorage vote by mail what i do have a problem with is when they just start doing massive vote by mail without having a system in place like anchorage has right you know, Anchorage spent many years. There was a commission. There, 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 there's many safeguards in place for the ballots. Um, but, you know, on, on the state level, they just started kind of sending out, you know, which which I, I don't still believe there's like some kind of, maybe so, it's so hard to do fraud. It's hard and, and it, it takes a huge effort and there's laws against it. But that being said, I mean, there should be, this should be done correctly, you know, and safely. It, it, it And I think we're going to find that this is one, it's going to be, create some complexities. You're going to have some people that may not fully understand it. I mean, I, I was talking to a former lawmaker the other day, having to explain to them that the primary is not ranked choice. I talk to, I talk to people all the time about that and p- people who pay attention. Some people think if you get 50% in the primary, you win. Yeah, no, it's, you know, exactly. and, 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 and this is why <laughs> I voted against it. And I've said this, I'm actually on paper, you know, kind of philosophically, I, I, I like it. You know, it's, it's simpler. The one primary, the ranking is a truer indication of the will of the, the public. That, that That's kind of, you know, the, the philosophical approach. Yeah. Um, but in practicality or reality, I just, and they're, they're going to be ballot measure two group and the division of elections are going to be educating people. I just worry that people are going to go vote. We talked about before how many people watch gavel, how many people pay attention. Yeah. And they're going to say, what the fuck is this? What are all these numbers and ranking? I hope that's not the case. I don't want that to happen, but that's the concern that I have. But see, you have to assume, you know, you have to assume the majority of the people out there, everyone has their priorities and you can't expect everyone's priorities to be the same as your priority. Their priority may be, um, you know, work. It may be, you know, kids football. It may, whatever it is, that's their priority. And you, and with this, which is a more complex system than we had before, you can't just magically assume that somehow if they don't know what's going on, they're somehow bad people. They have other priorities that they came, they went to and they expected it to be the same and they turn around and go, wait a minute, well, I, I don't understand exactly what's happening here. And and so there's it's, no it's, fault it's, it's, it's on them. Be an interesting, it's going to be confusing though. It's going to be interesting to watch on the education part of you know the ballot measure two and the division, division of elections and the campaigns, yeah. how the campaigns approach it, um, the results... Right. right. I mean, I, I, I think Joelle Hall made a good point to me. She's not a fan of it, but she may, I think the Democrats really don't like it because it kind of ensures no Democrats going to get elected statewide. It's not going it to, actually, it actually harms Democrats substantially. And, and, and I had someone tell me the other day and, and again, I'm not going to say who, um, but they, you got a name drop yeah, a little bit. They, Give us something. <laughs> they said, listen, this system was created for Lisa. And if anyone else can benefit it, they were trying to encourage me, you know, if anyone else can benefit it, that's great. But it was created for Lisa. 
it actually harms the Democrats. Um, we are a Republican state. If you go and look at it on statewide, it, it, you, oh yeah, I mean two to one Republican uh, registered yeah, Democrat, and then Trump wins, and I mean it's it's you, a Democrat, it's a Republican state. Yeah, you have harmed. You have actually harmed the Democrats' opportunity to be successful on, especially on the statewide but, but what, races. What Joel said to me, and I think this is a distinct possibility. Um, you could end up with a, a lot of people, you know, a significant amount of people, more than a few in the House or the Senate who are quote unquote independent, right? Yeah. yeah. But but the only thing they have in common with the other independent people is they aren't Republican or Democrat, but they have nothing else in common. It's it's possible. That could that could be, you know, you could have let's say if you had five or six people in the House, yeah, like that, who were just, well, we're not really anywhere and we're not with each other either. What does that do? Or the Senate if you have three or four or yeah. even two. Because right. you see how close things are now with everything's like, you know, one or two yeah. could, could sway, even one could sway the whole balance of power in either body. And it create it really creates almost like a parliamentary system that you have elsewhere. And which, you know, can be problematic. I mean, they're constant. How many times did it take Israel to finally organize after yeah. how many elections? I, right? I actually, if, if, if I'm not uh, advocate, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote against the convention. But if it were to happen... Um, I think we got to adopt like a parliament parliamentarian system here in Alaska. Yeah, well, it's it like, definitely. Let, let, let's get rid of the governor. Let's just have the, let, elect the legislature, and then they elect the you know the, the prime minister, whatever it is. We, you know, <laughs> we just now that because then you have to actually then you have to work with people. Yeah, because it, because of factions and and you know how the how that. But you do, but you don't. You, you yes, well, unless, yes unless, you have theory, huge, you unless you have a huge majority. You're, in theory, you do, but you don't always see that happen, though. I mean, how many times do you have governments that that struggle to form majorities? They, they get there, good, and then sometimes you get like like it it Israel or Australia. You have the conservatives align with some yeah. greenie party some or something green, yeah, yeah. because you need like six handful of votes yeah. so they're in the, like the majority all of a sudden they're in the government but they also have the benefit of being able to we couldn't get together so now we have to do a new election right and snap, snap yeah snap yeah election. the snap election right which is uh, uh, that helps okay we're in a log jam we got to figure out how to get out of this and then you jam. got the vote of no confidence to the prime minister exactly which is uh, so that so could be bad <laughs> take take what's happened the last two um uh, organizations in the house and now throw the dynamic you just highlighted into it we already have taken a month both times to be able to get people together. If you throw in a lot more independent people, you're going to struggle. There's the possibility of going for extended periods of time without that mm -hmm. organizational structure. And, you know, the other side, maybe it works out great. Maybe, maybe a, a, enough moderate type people that are not ideological get elected and, and it's easy. Maybe, maybe things go better. You know, that's another possibility. I, I think we're going to have to, Wait and see. It's going to be interesting. And I, I don't think you're going to, you know, the first, the first go around, probably not going to solve all that because you still have, you still have some incumbents. You still have some of those things, but you know, give it a, if you, over a couple. Well, there's couple. As, as we sit now, everybody's up except Donnie Olson. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, yeah. again, this That's changes, true. but it, it could, you know, we could have, a, we talked earlier about the fact that when you have a lot of new, a lot of new people, things get difficult. It, things get difficult. Um, and, and who knows what, what promise does they make during the campaign that they have a hard time being able to, uh, being able to follow through on after they get down there. I said, I'd never organize with, you know, Joe and all of a sudden now you're down there. And the, the other interesting factor in some races this won't matter because in some like house races, there's probably only going to be four people yeah. or maybe less. So you kind of know what's going to happen after the primary. Right. But in the races, like the high-profile races, governor, even some Senate races, I think, yeah. when there's six or seven or eight people, the top four has such an imp impact on how you can on the race. Yeah. Now, this is the, how it was before, you kind of know 
how it's going to go right. in general. You have a pretty good idea. I mean, right. okay, there could be somebody, a fluke thing, like, you know, you know, Kathy Geisel gets beat or John Coghill. And I mean, people saw the Geisel one, but didn't see the Coghill one necessarily. Yeah. But, but you kind of, even then you kind of know it's going to be a Republican. Now this top four thing, you could have you and somebody else and two, like just way out of left. You have no idea how to, what to do. Yeah. And you, you won't know until you get past the primary. Yeah, I think that the top four thing actually probably has lim- has negative implications for the people that put it forward that they didn't think about. Because if you if you look at if you look at rank choice, so a friend of mine was the uh, mayor in uh, Minneapolis, and she was talking about how she won her race. And of course, for her, what it was is she then went to so rank uh, choice, yeah, rank choice, and and she went to other um, uh, the supporters of other individuals and said, "Hey, I know you're not number one, but vote for me, number two, right?" Well, she benefited from like 15 people being in the race in that particular case. You know, with only four, you really limit that, that, you know, what can happen there. And I think that this particular case, if she had had only four, if they had kind of run it, it might have probably been one of the top people, but she may not have been it. Which I think is really dumb. New York City saw this in the Democratic primary. They had like 15, 16 people in the ring choice and it got screwed up. I mean, you could, you, you can't reasonably rank 15 that's crazy Uh, at least four you can (laughs) kind of like three or four you can okay like there's a book by Catherine gell and michael porter the politics industry which they basically pitch this idea as is one of the ways to you know they say kind of fix democracy it's like the elections and then the other one is changing all the antiquated rules in the congress about how you know everything's centralized now with the speaker and the committee chairs where it used to be a little the speaker sorry used to be the committee chairs had a lot of power yeah and and the um folks that have been around through um, seniority, but now it's all been kind of, actually the Democrats over time, they controlled the house for like 40 years. Right. So, you know, 60, 70, 80s. They had done a lot of this. Yeah. Everybody blames Newt Gingrich. Yeah. He put the nail in the coffin on, <laughs> on centralizing, but the Democrats for many, many years had done this. That's true. Taking away the power from the committee chairs and, you know, give, giving it to the speaker and it became more political and party. Yep. But anyways, this is the book and it, it, you should read it. It's a really good book. It talks about this stuff, but yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's just there's a, a, a potential, which I, I hope does not happen, that this could be a fucking clusterfuck beyond, especially with all the election stuff out there now and everybody, people don't, I mean, 20% of, Repu- only 20% of Republicans, I just watched Meet the Press last night, believe Trump won the election. 20%. Yeah, it's a fair number there. That, That's um, not great, you know, when you have people who just don't believe the elections anymore. And and if you if you don't instill that trust in elections and and there's and that's going to become an issue with ranked choice because you can have paper ballots but a computer is going to be the one doing the algorithms and changing this stuff up you're not going to have and especially with that time frame that's required to certify the election well you're already waiting two weeks before you start doing the next phase there's no way that you can have those those uh people that are looking at the ballots and saying you know, this one is, this one is for Joe, this one's for Sarah, right? Or whatever. And you're going back and you're just saying this one's for these, this person, this person, and maybe you have a third person. Now you have to take into account, okay, what are those second and thirds? Well, I mean, I, I think the other computer is the only way that you're going to do that. The other, and, question, the other question is, you know, if, if it, if it goes wrong or if it, you know, what does it, what does the legislature do? Cause it's two years. I mean, you have two years to, I mean, they could technically have passed what in 2020, so yeah, if, it, the, if, if they do want it, they could alter it or change it next next year, right? Uh, yeah, they have to wait. Yeah, it's, it's two years. Yeah, they have to wait a couple of years. But yes, that this one has to run this way. It, it does, yeah, right, right, it has to. But um, then they can change it before the next one. 
you know, that I think this is going to be real telling that just like after the Joe Lisa race where the legislature actually or the, the governor had to actually present a bill uh, based on the court cases that we had to make some adjustments. That's why we changed the primary date. That's why we changed a few things uh, back in 13 was because of the ramifications of that race. I, mean, I don't know why we don't have the primaries earlier. I mean, it's just like a few months really to, to yeah. Why is it in June? So then you can at least kind of <laughs> have enough time to really. Um, and then you know, the governor, I don't know if you watched this press conference last week. It was a farce. They have a, that's when they kind of told Kevin he's out without even giving him any kind of accolades or anything. It was like, here you go, buddy. You're I, done. I didn't watch it. I, I read about it, was, it afterwards. It was not great the way they Dunleavy handled it. But but they have this press conference on this election integrity bill. James Brooks from the ADN says, can we see the bill? No. It's not ready yet. And which I, How do you have a press conference on a bill and you can't show them the bill? And it makes sense that they wouldn't have it necessarily yet, but um, they might probably have wanted to wait just a little bit to have they said, a press They said, I guess, by first day of session, they, they hope. Yeah. But um, then they want, the governor says... He wants them to act within 30 days on this because the election's coming up, which, okay, but, you know, yeah, and produ- that, produce the bill. And that's probably why we don't have a, a June primary is also because of the fact that you have the legislature in session until, well, in the old days it was May, um, and it still tends to be in May. So how do you campaign? I mean, if you look at... Well, like, it should be April for 90 days. It should yeah, be April, yeah, right? it should be. It should be April. If you look at the, um, you look at Texas, for example... They only meet once every two years. So it's easy for them to have a primary in, in March, yeah. right? Um, you know, because you don't have people in session, so you don't have the problems of raising money and being out there able to campaign. We're supposed to be out at the latest in May, and so that gives them a couple months to be able to go out there and, you know, legally raise money and be able to campaign. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's, you know, you can't really be. Yeah. And that other question now is, you know, this APOC, this court ruling, you know, they're saying 1,500. I think a lot of people are saying APOC doesn't really even have that authority, but... In any case, you know, there could be some some big limits here coming up. You ran yeah. for five, six times, right? It was 500. Yeah, 500 bucks. Now they're saying 15, but I mean, I think really it's, unless they make a decision in the legislature, it could be unlimited. I, I think, I think actually APOC's out of, um, I, I, I don't think they're within the authority to set I think so too. I mean, I did the story on it and I kind of, you know, they claimed some, some legal precedent they used. I, I, I forget yeah. what it's called, but you know, I don't know. I, I, they, why are they allowed to? Determine? They're not allowed. That they're way out of. They are. They are not the. They are not the judiciary. They're 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 semi judicial, but they're not the judiciary, and they're also not the legislature. Um, that I think they're way out of line. I think they're open for uh, reopening of the the case. And of course, that would cost the state money because they're going to lose, and the other person's going to ask for their attorney's fees. So um, that all being said, though, it it your point, and it is a valid point, is the difference in. Uh, the money from single individuals uh, has dramatically shifted. I remember I, there was one law, former lawmaker that once told me, they were said, you know, in, in Alaska, you know, you've heard the term whale for, you know, people that max out, right? And they said in Alaska- Gambling, takes, got a real whale you know, table. 500 bucks to be a whale was, was <laughs> this person's point. And, and that's all it takes, right? It's like a, it's like a joke. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and now- it's much harder to be, uh, it, you know, you're not going to be able to be that whale for the, in that perspective. What, how does that change? How does that change things? And does that mean that you see a shift from some people saying, well, you know, I only have to focus on, you know, these eight people as opposed to these 30 people, no. uh, you know, it shouldn't be that way. Cause that means you're focused on the wrong thing, but it does mean that, you know, if you do have unlimited amounts, then, um, I, I think, I think you basically, the, Alaskans have recognized that we want limits 
And, but what those, what those limits are, you know, it's a good question and, and they, you know, they haven't been changed for years, but, um, uh, I, I don't think that APOC, I don't think the way they did that though was legal. Well, I think having the inflation, um, you know, in, in, um, adjustment yeah. on that is good. Like the federal ones have that, you know, the federal limits, but, do. um, you know, I have mixed feelings. I've done, a, I've done a podcast with Robin Brenna and he was the lawyer and, and he says, look, you can give unlimited money to PACs, which is true. True. And I, and I kind of see that point, but to me, it's like a lot different. It's, it's not a lot, but it's different. If I'm giving $20,000 to front, you know, Alaskans for Lance that you have nothing to do with. Right. Or if me giving you a check for $20,000, that's different. Yeah. And I, I don't like, I, that's not, that's, I mean, giving 500 or a thousand or a couple thousand. Okay. Like I think for the Congress, it's 2,900 a year. Yeah. But I, I mean, that's pretty wild to give somebody 20 or 30 or 50 grand. Yeah. Right. Just because, Hey, I like this guy. I mean, come on, we know what that's, you know, and, and I think that's probably because we as Alaskans have been so used to this $500 limit. You know, if you, if you go around and you look at other states, you'll see that, you know, there's such a huge difference throughout the country on, you know, what the limitations are. Yeah. There's some that have absolutely no limits at all. Um, there are people that there's some states where, you, you know, you've got a you know, friend really supports you. They can, they can just give you as much money as they feel you need. Um, but then at the same time, you, like Oregon used to be that way and they just changed it, I think, to the federal limits. They did that through initiative, I think, last, uh, in 2020. They, Which is still 29, it's still a lot it, of money. You yeah, know? It's, it's the, you know. You, you know who hates this the most are the lobbyists because they can donate to their legislator, right? They, and yeah. then the, the big, the big, the whales, as you talk about, you know, for some business guy or some person who has money to give five, okay, I give 500 to 10 people. Okay, I got to do that part of the system. You know, yeah. when it starts to become 5,000, like yeah. all of a sudden, you know, it changes how people act. Yeah. And, and actually, and you hit on another thing. So, you know, some of those people that could give $500 to 10 people, you know, now they can't, they can't necessarily give $5,000 to, to 10 people. And it also may probably make some focus in on, you know, am I going to give a little to everyone or can I focus on one person I'm really passionate about? So in some yeah. cases, I mean, it, it changes the dynamic pretty, uh, you know, quite a bit actually um, for uh, just, you know, what you end up seeing in terms of the uh, ability for people to invest in these campaigns. But I will say that I've, I've talked to a few people that have, you know, received some of those $1,500 checks already. And they were like, man, it's so much easier and so much nicer to be able to receive those. I mean, I've run before too. And five, it's hard, you know, cause it's, it's a tough. lot of people don't get 500, you know, a lot of people get hundred or 200 even, but even those 500s when they, when they hit, you know, it's like, yeah. You, know, you can do it. I mean, you can buy it. That's a lot of mailers or, you know, yeah. that, that's some, um, you know, some maybe a video, whatever it is, you know, you can actually, yeah. you know, do something with that. And I don't think you're frankly going to see that big of a change. Most people like you just hit on are not $500 people. They, it, this rule did not change their ability to give someone a hundred bucks to now I can give you, you know, 400 bucks. This rule change really affects probably about you know, maybe a thousand people in the state. Yeah, very who are the small money, the, group of people. And you right. can go on APOC and search and you can see who they are. And Absolutely. It's, it's, um, you, you know, you know and, who they are. And they're on both sides of the aisle because I know everyone seems to think, you know, you, you always hear it's this one. From one side will say it's one and the other side is the other. You've got people on both sides that are willing to to um, uh, support their 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 person that they support. And so, well, and you see it too when, when they give to one person, let's say they give to Parnell and then Walker wins. Well, guess what? Guess who gets money after the election to close out his walk? You know, you, you do. You, they yes. give money to either one because they you, or both before because yeah. you hedge, 
Yeah. Um, a lot of these folks just want want to be able to, you know, answer the phone. Um, last thing I want to talk about, we've been going for over an hour and a half, but I mean, I could, with you, I could go for, <laughs> shit, we could probably go for days. I mean, you got so much up there we could talk about, but <laughs> last thing is you, you had a kind of run in with APOC mm-hmm. um, and Paula Del- Delario, who's like the rabid kind of Democrat APOC person. Yeah. Like if you're Republican, you're probably thinking about, don't have Paula Delario come after me. <laughs> so what happened and kind of where, I mean, you had a fine, kind of a large fine, mm-hmm. um, you know, about some debt debts, not reporting some debts, I guess. Talk about that and where, you know, where that is. I know you're, you're having to pay that fine and you can't, you can't have to use your own money, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have to use my own money. So, um, you know, I, I would receive my invoice from my consultant and I would list everything that my consultant put down and I would, uh, list when the invoice, when I received the invoice, uh, they felt that I should have known who their subs were before they sent me the invoice so that I could report it as a debt. That's essentially what the majority of it comes down to. They also, they also, one, one other thing that they had was, uh, I had missed uh, only time in my whole time doing it. I had missed um, uh, a guy had given me, uh, I think he gave me 500 bucks in January and then he gave me 250 bucks in October. And somehow I'd missed that he had already given so me. It was over the 500 limit. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I got the fine on that and they, they didn't reduce that. They did, well, they reduced, but they, they did the daily fine on that. Um, and then the one that the staff, uh, the, Staff had actually come out and said, you know, no, he didn't violate. Was the um, uh, was um, reporting my POFD? That's your financial disclosure. Yeah, and my my wife's clients that I don't have access to and never have had access to client my wife's clients. And uh, we had actually, I had actually years ago paid in a we had, we had an attorney worked with uh, APOC to make sure that I was following the law and that I would do that religiously. And uh, so when it came time, APOC actually advised and said he, he, didn't, he didn't break the law here. Uh, the commission decided that they didn't want to accept the staff's um, So for the folks staff's listening, suggestions. The, the, the staff uh, make suggestions and, and, and do all the, and then the commission actually makes the decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the commission decided to also double what the staff uh, suggested as the fine. And so what it came down to is I actually think that we had some, we had some reasoning if we had taken it up to gone through the court process that I think we would have had at least portions of it thrown out. Did you go to the superior court or no? It was, yeah, started a superior. Um, so you would have to go to the Supreme court. Uh, so yeah, ultimately that's where it would have gone. And then we had to just ask ourselves, is it really make sense to, I had asked myself, let's me, there was no one else. It was just me. I had asked myself, what did it make sense to pay an attorney to go through this whole process? And, so and your pay, was Stacy your lawyer, Stone, or no? Uh, no, in this case, um, uh, it was. Um, you gonna think? I've got so many attorneys. Um, <laughs> so like, uh, that's uh, okay if you don't know. Yeah, but, no, no. But I, you're you know, paying this. They aren't doing pro, they're pro bono. They're no, pro, no, you're not pro. Them. I'm paying them. Um, and uh, um, uh, Amodio. Um, oh, Tom Amodio. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, so, he's like the APOC guy. Yeah, he's the APOC guy. So, um, uh, he probably the, loves APOC. <laughs> <laughs> he, he works with APOC uh, quite a bit. He loves APOC. He's like, yeah. it's great. Keep APOC around for as long as we right, can. Right, right. He, he, um, uh, so he basically came back and he was like, you know, we can fight this, but you're going to pay so much in attorney's fees. Plus in some cases, let's say that we went to them and they, they, we won. And when, they, when did you get fees though? Or not, not all the fees? 
Um, probably not all because they probably would remand it back to the commission. And then we also risk the commission who had reduced the fines. See, the fines are, the fines are actually out of control, frankly. Oh, no, it's, I mean, you've heard of people that have gotten fined a million dollars because it's a daily rate. Because it's a daily and rate. And then if you go back and you, you complain, make a complaint about something that happened four years ago. Yep. Which is com- what happened in this case. That's why the initial looked so big was because. It was, oh, we're looking back four years and we've come across something, even though APOC, I had, you know, talked to APOC at times and I had said, what are you, are you okay with this? Like no one had brought it up, but four years and they said, okay, here's your daily fine. It, it you know, the, the, the amount doesn't speak to the egregiousness of any sort of, of, of discrepancy. It's just. What it's was the original? What was the initial fine? That was like million something. <laughs> it was like insane. <laughs> it's right? so stupid. Like, it, why doesn't the legislature? You were in there a long time. Why don't they fix APOC? Because and make it to where if you fuck up and do something wrong, you get in trouble. If you make a little mistake, that's okay. You're still going to have to pay the consequence. Or you're going to have to have a consequence. But you know, it's not going to be something so stupid like a million dollar fine. Like Tuck. Yeah. Remember when Tuck mixed yep. up his campaign and personal mm-hmm. and you know whatever and. Years you got a million dollar fine that was cut down to you know ten thousand or something. Yeah, well, the reality comes down to because most people that have an APOC, APOC is no longer utilized as truly trying to weed out corruption. Because if you're going to receive too much money from someone, you're not going to report it, right? It's it APOC is now used as a political tool. The only people that file these things, you mentioned Paula Delario. Uh, she's not a general re- regular Joe that says I'm concerned about this. She's someone that gets paid by someone. Oh, she's a bull. No, she's a bulldog, and she's and she's very good at it. And she, exactly, she's not, and and she's not looking evenly on both sides. You don't see her putting a Republican out there. She's using it as a political tactic. So APOC has been uh, pre, you know, they they it's moved into a, a place where they are now used by each side to a, to attack the other. I mean, and, and, and the, the kind of the way I view it. Is like, you know, they beat you, but now they got to like rub it in, you know? Yeah, right. And that's the, and, and so, you know, if you look at the things, is there something that's absolutely egregious that's there? If that's the case, then absolutely. That's where they should step in. It's turned into something that has gotten out of control. And you'll, you'll hear Republicans and Democrats down in Juneau complain about it. Oh, I hear people all the time talk about how how screwed up APOC is, but but I think think people generally, most people recognize you need a campaign regulator. Which I agree You need someone to regulate and watch this stuff. Right. Um, But then the legislature also, kind of to defend APOC a little bit, they keep reducing their budget. So they have a few people, you know, that are overseeing hundreds of, of, you know, election campaigns and plus ballot initiatives with tens of millions of dollars that get, you know, and, and, and independent expenditures. Right. And there's not that many people over there because the budget keeps getting, it's just, there, there needs, this needs to be totally changed. If I ever got elected and I'm not, I'm done with that shit, but if I ever did, <laughs> I think I would spend a lot of my time on fixing the APOC. And, and I think, I think that lawmakers are worried about actually addressing it because of the fact that they're, they're worried that anytime you deal with the APOC, the other side's going to attack you and say, you really don't want, well, the- you really don't want campaign regulation. But the truth is, is that's not the case. The case is not that you see people saying, let's make this a free-for-all. You, you see people who have seen it. We've got holes here that we need to patch. But, but the problem is, is again, it gets used as a political tool. Well, you want to, for instance, let's use a perfect example. And actually, got to give credit to David Eastman on this one. The, the statute says that there's supposed to be an office, an APOC office in every single uh, Senate district. It's been on the statutes books for, for years. It really says that? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
And so APOC's not following the law. They have the office in Anchorage. They have the office in Anchorage. They have the office in um, you know they have the office in, in Juneau. They have Fairbanks or no? Mm, uh, uh, Juneau and Anchorage. And that's it. So they're not following theirs. So well, well, you could also say the legislature doesn't give them the, give them the money for that. You know, they oh well, that'd be expensive to have also, twenty yeah, twenty offices. Be, it would be stupid to have that, right? You can, yes. So he puts it out there and says, "Let's let's do away with this," and they vote it down, and probably because it came from David. But um, in that particular case, there are absolute holes in the statutes that should be addressed, or there are things that just don't make sense that we're requiring to do. And it's because you start off with a law at one point and then you build on it by adding more and more stuff. And before you know it, you've created this, this complex bureaucracy that ends up finding people that have had no intent of doing anything, you know, wrong. And they're sitting there going, Oop, I guess I, I mistaken it. And what you've turned in, what you've actually turned into with the campaign regulation through APOC is you, that, that regular Joe that wants to run doesn't have the capabilities to do that. Anymore. Well, I used to be, when I first got involved, I was like terrified of, I think a lot of people are, it's like, yeah. Oh God, I don't want to piss off. A- I don't want to get in trouble with a-, you know mm-hmm. um, what I found now, and this is how it should be. And you've dealt with them. I'm sure, you know, you've dealt with them a lot. Yeah. If I call them and talk to, um, Tom or uh, Heather or anybody over there, yep. they're, they're very happy to talk and tell yeah. you things. And, but most people who are new don't, they, they, they it's like the IRS, you know, yeah. fuck the IRS is calling me. Right. Or I don't want to talk to the IRS. Right. Yeah. And, and, but they're going to have to deal with APOC this session because of these limits. Yep. I don't think these incumbents want unlimited limits, you know, for their opponents when they're, they can't even take any money. When they're in session. Yeah. Uh, I, well, that's a good point. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can come together uh, to be able to do something like that, because obviously there's politics on both sides um, where they feel they may benefit. But I, I think I think what you've got is you're right that APOC um, has opportunities for, um, you know, looking at it in a, in a different perspective uh, that still allows for what it was designed for, which is to make sure that you have um, uh, that you regulate what's going on. Because again, you want to have sight on those things. Now, it's not, the 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 Vic Coring thing was not identified through APOC. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right. We and we have to remember that. Right. So so this was the reporters. I mean, this was this absolutely. Journalists. So so you know, do you need to make it more complex than? Tell us what you re- raised. Tell us what you spent. And, where, and where'd the money come from? Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Where did it come from? Do you need it more, make it more complex than that? Probably not. But yet, at the same time, you know, the things over the over years that have been added and added and added have made it so that it's just a regular Joe. It's, it's like that um, house, that cabin thing. I don't know. Have you seen that? Weird, tall. They built it up in the middle of nowhere. That's in yes, the one, the, the Doctor Seuss house. Yes, it's like yes. that. You just keep adding to it, yes. and eventually, it's like, what the hell is this? Right. And I and I think that there is an opportunity to go back in and go, okay, how do we make this do exactly what we wanted, which which is should happen, but doesn't make it so that the regular Joe that wants to go out there and run for office doesn't have the the ability to do it on his own or her own, or, you know, in this particular case, it's so complex. I mean, you can go through the trainings, but even trainings and talking to people, you're still, there's a chance you're going to miss someone. So you're probably going to have to hire someone that is a professional. So we now have professional APOC people 
And I and I think you, we've got to ask, what's that balance there? Oh, when I've run, when I've run, um, you know, last year and or I guess now twenty twenty, um, I got out. But you know, when I've helped with campaigns, I always advise uh, my friend Yulia. She's an accountant. She's she's yeah. a treasurer. You hire somebody to do the books, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because it's 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 just first of all, it's a lot of work. You shouldn't be doing, right, as a campaign person. Um, but second of all, you don't want to screw it up because uh, it can cause problems, and it's. Um, I guess I would say that, you know, if somebody can't follow the APOC, you know, if somebody runs for office and is incapable of reporting stuff or following the, those rules, that's also a problem, you know. You know should they be well, making the decisions on the... But I, I don't necessarily disagree. I don't agree with that because I think that there are... I think people sometimes can... You can accidentally miss something. I think, I'm talking about the people who just don't, they can't they yeah, don't even, yeah, yeah. They oh, don't no. do anything or it's so screwed up. You have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and that happens every once in a while, but you, you know, the people that are actually trying to make that effort and you've got, there's people that have been on both sides of the aisle for years that have had things that have come up and, you know, they weren't, it was, it was, you know what? I would, I, I didn't think about that or, Hey, I missed that on accident. I mean, you know, for instance, you know, I, I get there are certain things where you have someone that says, oh, yeah, I missed I missed the filing by, uh, you know, an hour because something, mm-hmm. you know, something happened. Right. And boom, you've got fined. And then that goes against you in the future. And what like, you know, there's there's all sorts of little things like that that kind of come up. But if you're absolutely going to just totally screw it up and there are people that completely screw it up. Um, you know, that's, I think that's what you're hinting well, at. And like you said, there's people, I mean, Tuck had that thing years ago with, yeah. I think he mixed up the campaign card and the person, you know, he had this mm-hmm. big fight, but like, you know, it, it was, was that not, was that stupid? Yes. Was it an accident? Yes. Did it, did, did the voters care? No, no. It's like, we should be going after things and, you know, making things known and public that are wrong, that are like I, I, malicious and wrong and bad. Right. And if somebody made a mistake okay, let's, let's make sure and, they don't do it again. Let's make yes. sure they have a, you know, some kind of consequence because you want to make sure people don't make mistakes. But, you know, you, it's like crimes. I mean, there's levels of crimes and there's levels of infractions yep. that we have. Finding people a million dollars or threatening, <laughs> you know. It's so crazy. That goes back it. to the conversation that we had earlier of, okay, so you're going to tell people that they're not going to get paid very good. They're not going to see their family. And they have the potential if they accidentally do something wrong that someone discovers it less than, you know, four years and, and you know, 360 days later. And they're going to get a daily fine for that. Um yeah, you're going to discourage people from being able, from putting their names out and, there. And, and, and to be clear, it's not again, it's not the APOC staff. It's people who who, compl- who and and I've I've been around a long enough time where I know that people always they look for like they know about they know about something that happened and it's usually petty or mm-hmm. stupid and they say we need someone to make the because they don't want to make the complaint. They're not going to make the so, complaint. So they look yeah. for some and both sides do this. They look for someone to make the complaint. Yep. Now Paula's kind of the new that's a new animal here where she's, she's just a professional. Yeah. Was doing this pretty much. I mean, she's probably combing through every record. Going, you know, she's, she she is. So she's getting paid to do that. She's so. not. And she's not. I mean, the Bronson one she did, mm-hmm. um, which I think Bronson kind of that, that was weird. They they didn't disclose a bunch of things, but um, yeah, I mean, she's out there. She's yeah. She's she's like her own little regulator. You know? Yeah, it's, it's well, and it's for you know partisan purposes. Yeah, it's become partisan, and I think that's. Um, 
that that's that's the things that that they need to address is how do you make APOC? How do you pull it back from parties and how do you pull it put it to where it needs to be? Kind of like the ethics committee. Um, the ethics committee does its job and it's rarely you you really really hear about it and i think that's partly because of the way that it's structured well you can't if there's a complaint you can't talk if you if you talk about it it kind of goes away right or exactly it screws it up i i think i think and that's that's because the point of it is you're not going to use the ethics committee as a partisan tool yes right and i think i think that can be adopted for the for the apox let's see if there's a problem it needs to be addressed yeah because when you make a complaint it's public on online right away Exactly. So you can go look. Oh, a complaint, and and then you go look, out there, and oh then people boy. go say, "Hey, look, see, they're they're bad. They're bad because the, because someone filed something, even if there's no validity to it." Whereas in the ethics committee, they will go out there. They will. They have someone from their Democrat and Republican, right? And they take an they and analyze it. Eventually, there is something that comes out if they find there to be. A I mean, they just problem. came out with one about Reinbold, and you know, not not blocking people. She blocks people and deletes comments on yeah. social, which I've you know we all know about. Right. But that was made in February, yep. and I had, did not know about it. And, I mean, nobody knew because they That's keep right. their mouth shut. Because if, if they talk, if, well, if the committee talks, I think they probably get in trouble. Uh, um, they can get removed from the committee, as I think saw that. Uh, well, Eastman got Eastman. removed. Eastman got removed, didn't yep. he, for leaking something? He did, yeah. The, um, there was a vote to remove him, and he, and he was removed at that particular time. But the, the person who makes the complaint is told, don't you can't be out there using this for political. You can't be telling people about it. Absolutely. It's, it's a secretive thing. And and even when it even when it does come out, Usually the ethics committee does a really good job of, because most of them are not kick you out of the legislature level. They do a really good job of saying, all right, and, and let's use uh, Bob Lynn. Is, I'll use this one as a good example. He put out his newsletter and he um, put some helpful tips or, or helpful call lines. And it was different companies, which was technically in violation of the statute. Like NSTAR or Chugach. Like NSTAR or... and those places. And they came back and said, you know, you shouldn't do that. Our, our suggestion, though, and, and it, so it was published. Did he violate it? Yes, he violated the statute. But they went through and they said, listen, you know, we're not going to fine you, but we also suggest that you now, one, not do it, but you should have maybe ethics take a look at your newsletter afterwards to mm-hmm. make sure that you don't. So it, it went from, you know, it became, instead of it just being like, we're going to hammer you, Bob Lynn, you're a terrible person, it became, okay, yeah, you did violate it, um, but we're also going to suggest that this not happen again. And it's a focus of making sure that it doesn't happen. Yeah. Of course, legislators get I wonder, it. Was, was it like Eddie Sports Bar? Like, hey, I, stop by Eddie. It was a bunch of, I think it included some, <laughs> like, I, think, I think it included some movie theaters or something like that. Oh and those are, those you are. You want to see a good flick, Century 16 is a place there, to there be. You go, brought yeah. to you by Bob Lynn. Brought to you by Bob, yeah. And actually even, you know, Kevin Meyer got, got uh, tagged once for sending his newsletter to, and when he was in the house, he sent his newsletter and it either included all of the other house district of the Senate when he was running for the Senate or maybe a piece of it. Oh, uh, yeah. You don't and, want, yeah. And, and they came down and they said, listen, you can't do it. And I can't even remember what the I can't even remember what the consequences were. But, you know, that was an appropriate time where they well, s- stepped back and they came in and they said, you know, this you this was this violates the statute. I just think there's there's but if you look at the ethics committee, it doesn't become a partisan tool. It becomes, mm-hmm. you know, because if it's if it isn't found in violation, you never know about it. Yes, correct. Right. That's and I think that's a key piece. That to would that. be a good thing for a you know, that be that wouldn't, wouldn't be a bad idea if you if you get caught, you know if something happens. Yeah. You know, but, I'm going to throw everything but, at the wall and say that you did it all. Well, did you really? The, do the, that? the problem with that though is everything would be an executive session. Where you know with 
the ethics committee, it's executive session. With Reinbold, it's interesting because they said, don't do that, which is, I mean, obviously we all know you shouldn't be blocking people on your social media, but they also said the legislature should re re-examine or take a look at the social media guidelines, which haven't been, I, I think, looked at or updated for 10 years or more. Well, I'll tell you, at one point, we actually, uh, when I was on Ledge Council, um, they actually took Facebook completely off of the, the computer systems. And I remember that was totally wild. Like in the legislature? Like mm-hmm. they blocked Facebook? They blocked Facebook what? completely. Yeah, um, that was in 13 or 14. Uh, the only only the only computers that were allowed to have Facebook was the legislator's face uh, computer, and they had to request access. And there was a vote that said that they were going to strip it all away. And I remember I was sitting there because uh, I was looking around. You're one of the younger people who he, like, yeah, what? And I was like, I was like, okay, hold on, guys, hold on, hold on. We just took get rid of it. I said, and I just quickly made a motion. I said, we need to at least have it back to what it was, right? So I, we ended up, I ended up getting him to restore it to what it was. But um, there was a point in time where the legislature actually was more afraid of social media, so it didn't even allow it on our computers. Jesus. You remember, so I ran in 2012 for the first time, and I bring this up once in a while, but back then Facebook was like the fucking Wild West. Yes. You could just... Make an ad, you know, do boost it yes. to everyone. Yeah. No oversight. Right. You know, no, nothing. Yeah. You remember that? Right. I do remember that. And it was. It was, it was beautiful. It was, <laughs> it was very free market. <laughs> <laughs> and then 16 and all this shit. No, it's yeah, like. Yeah, we got to change Now, it even all. with Landmine, if I want to do a sponsor, I don't do it very often. But if we have a story we want to. It's like, I have to get, I do, it got verified. And I, and there's always like something you have to do to, yeah. you know, prove who you, who you are and. Yeah, man, 2012, that was yeah. that was the wild west. Right, right. Yeah, no, it, it was it was there was a lot more going on, and I think at the time it was, but it was it was seen more of a potential for distraction, and that's why they didn't want it. Which well, Obama really utilized that thing, in, you know. Oh, he 2000, um, yeah, eight and 12 especially. I mean, that yeah. was a big, you know, use of Facebook for his campaign. That I think people started to. That's when the Republicans and the Koch brother, you know, and um, I three sixty, and mm-hmm. they started to figure out like, look, we need to be able to use data, and yeah, you know, now this term data scientist is a thing, right, right, and campaigns are a lot different because of it. Yeah, they are different because of that. Well, um, Lance Pruitt, uh, it's been man two hours, one of my maybe longer podcasts, but <laughs> like I said, we could go for two more, I think, but we'll, yeah. maybe we'll do it again. No, that's good. Um, I, I appreciate you asking me to to be on. I, I, you know, I, I, I. I think what's important I, I, as people listen to this and if people get, you know, to, if they listen through the full two hours, I think it's important that they, if that they recognize that, you know, the dialogue that we have in this coming session, I think we need to move back to a place where we're willing to listen to everyone. And I think that's kind of, if you want to talk about the breakdown that we've had it, and, and kind of what we've talked about a little here, where were there some of these, you know, the good old days of back when I was there and, and then when I first got here and, and where it is now, I think, I think lawmakers stopped listening to each other. Lawmakers stopped recognizing that you need each other to be successful. And, and in the end, you know, that we're, it's about the state of Alaska. It's not about people's you know, political ambitions. It's not about whether or not, you know, the, your picture is going to be on the wall as the, the presiding officer. It's not going to be about, you know, those different things. And I think right now you've, you've got a lot of that going on down in the legislature uh, and we need to move away from that. And it will rank choice vote, voting, you know, address that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, um, you know, Alaska's got a lot, we, we got a lot going on. 
if we can figure out our yeah. and move past where we are right now. And that's the key. People won't invest if we keep rehashing the same things and not moving forward. Well, luckily you won't be going down there, but I will be going down there in less than two weeks. Oh, so man, I'm, 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 I'm not going to be down uh, in Juneau for, for that. I am going to be able to enjoy other uh, aspects of life and I'm looking forward to it. Make sure to check out the Alaska landmine for uh, all your Juneau news. There you go. <laughs> Well, Lance Brewer, thanks for coming in. You know, it's been um, it's been a while, so um, yeah. you know, best of luck to you. I'm sure we'll do this again. And if you're going to make any announcements or anything, you uh, make sure to let me know. Okay, sounds good. Make man. sure to you'll, you'll hear it first on the landmine. There right? you go. <laughs> okay, well, thanks again for coming in, Lance, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Sounds good. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landmine.